What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast, episode 92. Uh, today, I'm talking to a chief that shall remain nameless, um, but uh, him and I got into, um, we kind of tackled some of the topics in the orbit around um, some of the backlash from the McPond thing, um, but it was really mostly just like leadership development discussions and, and the ownership leadership needs to take uh, and the role that we play in the issues that kind of are being discussed um, in relation to that. Uh, and we got we got in a lot of different stuff around mental health and um, and just like the stress put on all these people, uh, how unprepared leaders are and, and, and stuff like that. It was really, really fun conversation. Uh, and he's he's starting a podcasting, too. And as soon as it's spun up, I will let you all know about it. So if you want to hear more from him, uh, you definitely will. I'm sure I'll drag him back on again soon. In lieu of ever having a sponsor, I've basically created my own. If you want to support us, go to dgutsapparel.com. Don't give up the ship apparel. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at dgutsapparel. Uh, it's Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. I went out of my way to create some really awesome stuff that I think you'll really enjoy. And it's some stuff that I think you'll actually wear. Uh, I hate all the stuff in the Navy Exchange section. I hate a lot of the stuff I see on social media where some somebody's side hustle is creating like nauseating gear that no one actually wants except for like crusty old retirees which i'm about to be so i don't know if i should uh, talk smack but anyway uh go check it out dgutsapparel.com if you want to support us that's the best way to do it and i would really appreciate it but you know like i i really enjoyed talking to him and i think he'll enjoy it too so check it out all right man so like we talked about just giving you like a quick background and as much detail as you want and then we'll go from there all right so, uh, been in about 15 years, uh, IT by trade, started off on a shore command. Then I went to a big deck amphib, spent two of my four years in the yards and BAE uh, yeah, yeah. at Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. It was not awesome. Then yeah. I was overseas for about three years, spent some time in Europe. That was fun. And then I went to the West Coast and spent a lot of time, about four years in a very small deck community. And it was very, very rewarding. And then of that time, I spent six months in the yards up in Vigor Shipyard, which is actually pretty good. Vigor Shipyard is pretty dope. I'm not <laughs> going to lie. That oh, that's in uh, Seattle, right across the uh, way okay. from where they got their, uh, what is it, the Ferris Sound wheel and all that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's okay, yeah, yeah. really good. I will say this. they I'm, I was part of the uh, initial team that went up there to survey uh, before our ship went up there to make sure we had, you know, enough office space for computers and so on. Yeah. And they're like, they were you know talking this big talk about all the pride they had in. And I was like, all right, cool. We'll see what happens when we get here. And I was like, wow, this is actually a pretty clean shipyard. It was <laughs> a polar opposite to the muddy parking lots of Portsmouth and the uh, yard birds that I was warning our guys about like, Hey, make sure you watch these guys. They're going to nod off and yeah. know, contraband. And I mean, if you've been to a shipyard, you know what I'm talking right, about. Exactly. But then uh, I left the West Coast, and now I'm currently doing instructor duty and uh, enjoying that. So yeah. that, that's my career as of right now. So I spent a lot of time in the yards and a lot of time with sailors. Yeah, yeah. So um, and the, the yards thing is going to become relevant pretty quick. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, you got a hold of me about uh, the podcast I did about the McPond stuff, which um, like I got like I got some grief on Reddit for it. Um, and it was, you know, it's all junior guys and they're all already fired up. So it's like, I get it. And I probably, 
Like I posted an audiogram of a clip today of me talking at the end. I was like, I probably should have put this at the beginning where it's like, like, look, I get it. And at the end of the day, like, and, and this is my opinion and my analysis, um, just based on like my leadership experiences, like this is our fault. Like the, the reason why we have all these mental health issues and the reason why there's all this discontent and the reason why the, the, even the environment and the circumstances exist on a ship in any shipyard period in any shipyard where there's no habitability and they're living on the ship when that doesn't exist. And they're not, you know, like foods, a, a mess and they're not getting like, there's no hot water, blah, blah, blah. Like all, when all, all those things happen, it's like, they shouldn't be on the ship. Like unless they, and, and again, like you get into like the logistics of, of that statement. It's like, I accept when you're on watch and you need the DC response and all that other crap, but it's like, you don't need to be living on the ship. Uh, and uh, the example I, I have, it's just my context. I understand how hard this would be able, like how hard it would be to apply this to a, an aircraft carrier. But like on a submarine, it's like we don't live on the ship. And it's not like people never live on the ship when we're in port. But like when we're in the shipyard and they take down habitability and like ventilation and all that, like now, like nobody's on the ship. Um, like you have watch standards that are on watch. And when mm-hmm. they're on watch, they're on the ship. And then you have like a certain number of people go down there occasionally. And then the yard workers are down there for work. But like even most of the duty section isn't even on the submarine unless they're on watch because we're 50 yards away on a birthing barge where we have all of the things that people are upset about. So it's like, why? There's a way to scale that up. It might not be birthing barges because you probably need 50 of them. But like there's a way to scale that up where. It, like it addresses the problems too, but like that's getting into the weeds anyway. But, um, but yeah, I, I, the, for me, the, the big thing was like, I probably should have led with like taking ownership of it, which is kind of what I thought the Mick punch should have done as well is just go there and, and empathize, like just go there and be like, like, I'm here to tell you, like, I I'm, I'm sad too. And I, I'm upset too. And you have every right to be upset and, frustrated and sad and whatever and like what can we do about it and then just hear them you know like instead of there's a lot of rebutting and you're just like is this the time yeah, to argue with the second like, class like yeah it almost came I mean? off very very combative which is not the a way little you yeah want the uh, the top chief to uh you know come back especially with the uh you know how many carriers have you been on comment yeah that one like yeah we were just talking about that like before we recorded yeah. and i'm just like that pulled the pit on the grenade for me. Like, that's like when you if I was standing there in my mind's eye, I would picture every E4, E5, like their eyes just what? turning red like a Terminator. And they're like, we're about to go in. <laughs> and as soon as they yep. got off the ship or got access to their cell phones, they lit the Internet on fire. And oh, it's yeah. just like, oh, what did you do? Why? Yeah, because oh, yeah, my thing is that when the HM2 asked that question, you know, if you think about that in hindsight, that HM2 probably didn't make it super quick. That HM2 is probably in the Navy for quite some time. Probably actually been downrange. Probably knows a little bit about foxholes more than some people may assume. Yeah. And knows about, you know, habitability issues. And is probably asking because someone's like, hey, HM, you know, Doc, listen, man, you're, you're that voice of reason in a room full of good ideas. Say what needs to be said, please. Yeah. yeah. And they said it. And that rebuke back of well is this your first carrier is this your first yard period like i, I knew a an hm3 when i was overseas 
that he was just really down in the dumps. And I asked him like, why, what's going on? He's like, well, I'm getting out this and this. I'm like, well, what's, you know, what do you not like about here? He's like, no, here's fine. It's just, he was downrange. It was still in the, what was it? I think he was in Afghanistan somewhere. And he had a lot of great quality of life, oddly enough, because he had his team of Marines and he was talking about how he's picking shrapnel out of some Marines ass. And he had like purpose, right? He had a lot of yeah. fulfillment from his job. And then he came where I was at and he was like, now I'm just some admin guy and dental. Yep. And his quality. And I know, you know, Mick Pond talked about, I was like, you know, how do you feel a quality of worth? Like I knew like ITs that would get sent to the Lincoln when they had their four year, you know, RCOH over yeah. in uh, Virginia. And it's like, well, your first command, first sea tour, and you're spending it, you know, in the yards for four years. I can't think of a worse place for sailors to spend their time, but to not right. just be like, well, at least you're not in a foxhole. Like that to right. me is like, well, and what's interesting about it though, is like, so like I was, my first chief store was on a special project submarine. And that is like, you leave home port, you come back to home port in the middle, you're doing God's work. And it's like, mm first tour sailors that came there, we were at sea 300 days a year. There were usually bookends of a yard period every two years where they were putting like new spinners on the rims and just like updating like uh, quality of life things or like um, like wear and tear because we were I mean, we were always at sea so that, you know, there's mm-hmm. going to be things that we just like break because we're running it so hard. But like those kids like there was a lot more attrition based on like after four years, they were just like, okay, I'm, I'm good. Like, but it wasn't, it wasn't like they did, they had a sense of purpose. So they were getting after it the whole time. I didn't have to explain to them that what they were doing was important. I didn't have to like try to inspire them Mm -hmm. to be able to recognize the purpose that, that was there to be found in the conduct of their job. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that was one of the things that Mick Pond talked about was like, Hey, you're returning this capital asset for another 20, 25 years of service. And it's like, I hear you. And it is important. And I talked about that in that podcast. But like it's when I was on a BN, like when I was on a ballistic missile submarine, we go to sea and punch holes in the ocean at five knots to nowhere, hoping that World War Three doesn't happen. Like it's just deterrence. Like you're everything you're doing is training and then inspections and then rinse and repeat. And then you go home for a little bit, do more training and qualification and, and then go back to sea and train and qualify and like get ready for an inspection and then go home. Like you never really do the mission because the mission would end the world. So it's yeah. like you're kind of <laughs> you doing the mission. You're not doing the mission. Yeah. Yeah. Like really, the mission is to like be a strategic deterrence asset. So you're like punching holes in the ocean. So the, the mission really is to safely operate the submarine, get people qualified. Uh, and be proficient in what we would have to do if we got the call. But like, it's hard to sell people on that. There's not a lot of sense of purpose. Oh, yeah. it, it's like trying summary. to explain to, you know, your most baseline worker somewhere about, well, if we keep the stock price high, that means that we'll be yeah. able to start more stores. Like, why would they, <laughs> like, you know, I don't like, care. how do they get that buy-in? Exactly. Unless I got stock options, I don't care at all. Like, exactly. I'm just trying to work for the union, man. I'm just trying to make yeah. you know, more money next week. Right. And I think that's part of the disassociation that people get when they get to a certain level where it's like, for instance, like just basic relationships, you know, trying to use that comparison, especially like, for instance, like marriage, right? You're not going to get somewhere by saying, well, you know, my work is harder than your work. Like everyone's eating from the same crap plate. So you just got to say that, okay, like the big thing that changed me. And again, this isn't an answer either. I'm sure if Mick Palmer would have said, so what's the biggest thing that you've helped for your mental health? Like, oh, well, I read this book called, uh, was it Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. 
mm-hmm. right? And it's about this guy that went through the Holocaust and he was a clinical psychologist that actually interviewed his fellow, you know, uh, you know, survivors while they were in the different concentration camps. This guy went through three different concentration camps, survived them all, made it through. And you would think at that point that that is the worst thing possible, right? They get rescued right. by the Russians, the war is over, but then there's still a huge amount of anti-Semitism existed in, in Europe. Yeah. They don't have any family because they're all gone. They don't have a house or a land. There's no rep, you know, repatriation. There's no anything. So right. it's it's just crazy to be like, the Holocaust happened and then it got worse. Like that's like yeah. his book, right? That's why. So the point, yeah. And the thing is, the point of the book isn't to be like, no one can complain because Victor Frankl lived through the Holocaust. <laughs> no, that's not yeah. the point. But the point to me is almost like, all everyone's pain is relative, regardless exactly. if that was going through a divorce, whether that was yep. you're in the shipyards, whether you're in a foxhole, and all that pain is not just relative, but it's relevant. Yeah. And that's and something my therapist said to me, dude, was like like comparing suffering is like the most pointless thing ever. And which is exactly what he did with the foxhole comments. Is like he yeah. was saying, like the therapist was saying, he goes, the the worst thing that's ever happened to a person is the worst thing that's ever happened to a person. So like mm-hmm. you could compare like like for me, I had I had cancer. I got brain surgery, radiation shortly. Like I, you know, I recover. I'm, mental health sh- stuff explodes. So then I'm having all these like anxiety attacks and issues and whatever. So now like I squared that away kind of and I'm on meds and like and then um, and this isn't something I put out on the podcast, but I had three immediate family members killed in February. And that's kind of why I disappeared for a little while is because I was a dumpster fire. And so like it, all of those things, it's like you could qualify all of those as really bad and like whichever one or the combination of, or the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But then I know people like when people always ask me about like, they, they talk about the cancer thing about, or, or the other mechanisms of suffering that have happened to me. Uh, or to other people. And I always tell them, I'm like, look, man, every time I get in that place where I start to do that, where I'm like comparing suffering or, or trying to like feel sorry for myself or have any, like even like a, a glimmer of a victim mentality. I think about this. There's this kid. I was driving an hour every day uh, to the radiation place. Um, Cause it was in a, like I was going to a university hospital in a big city uh, nearby, not like local. Cause I had like a, a, like Gucci cancer. I had like a boutique cancer. So I had to go get like Gucci radiation. So like, uh, they, I had to drive an hour every day through a major city, uh, while I was getting treated and it was five days a week. So every day I'm driving an hour there, hour back. And so it sucked, you know, like, and my wife mm-hmm. took like, uh, they call it femla leave. She was working as a DOD, uh, employee at the time. So, uh, she took like unpaid leave for, I think three months just to take care of me, just to drive me through and from radiation. Cause like when you get, when you get rolling in radiation, you feel like crap, you're super fatigued. There's a bunch of other fun symptoms. Mm. Like I was on a liquid diet for like three weeks. It was, it was a mess, but Oof. I was going in there every day and I, I legitimately felt terrible. I was in pain. I was super fatigued. It sucked. Um, when I would show up every day for, it wasn't the whole time. He was only there for part of the time, but every, every day it's like he would be leaving as I was coming in. There was this little boy, this Hispanic kid might have been five um, cl- was obviously going through chemo because uh, his hair was all gone and you could just tell. Um, and then he was doing the radiation, too. And his mom would bring him every day. They were driving from three hours away every day to bring this kid up here. Um, 
and you would see him and every day he'd have this big smile on his face. Um, and the mom looked like she was a half second away from just collapsing on the floor every time I saw her. And I would say hi and wave to the little boy and he would smile at me and she would just like stare a hole through me and like <laughs> understandably. And oh, yeah. there was one day I remember that um, I, w- I expected to see him every day that I was there. And there was one day that she was at the front desk, like half in tears, hysterical, like because he was in so much pain, he couldn't get out of their minivan. And she's like, I don't know what to do. Like, do I move him? Like, do I what do we do? And like, and I just overheard it just enough of it. And I'm like, every single time I get anywhere near that place, I think about that little kid and I'm like, my life's not hard. Like, cause that kid was a trooper, dude. And he's like a little mm-hmm. five-year-old little boy. And then the mom too, like, cause that kid, I mean, I was talking to my mom who worked in cancer centers for a really long time. And she's like, oh, I bet you, I know what kind of cancer is, that is. And I bet you that little boy didn't survive. And so that's what she was God. dealing with. And that's what he was dealing with. He didn't understand it. And just had the resilience of a small child. But like, God, it was the whole thing, man. I was just so impressed by the kid and the mother, like, and the whole thing just made such an impact on me that every time I get close to that, I just think about that little kid, man. And I'm just like, he's like, it can always be worse. And, and also my life's not hard. Like, but the, the idea of, of like discounting it by comparing it to someone else's suffering that you perceive to be like less, difficult or harsh or whatever it's it's idiotic because it's like had i not gotten the the obviously the unfortunate and painful but like the gift of interacting with that kid and his mom i wouldn't have that point of reference and i'd probably feel a lot more sorry for myself throughout the whole because there was times like during the radiation where like i was like that man i was mopey and like oh this sucks so bad and like I was in a crappy mood and I had to drag myself, you know, drag yourself out of bed, drag yourself up there, drag yourself back. The liquid diet, dude, I had sores in my mouth that like made it really difficult to like eat. So I got to the point where I had to gargle this stuff called magic mouthwash. It was like, I think it was like lidocaine and like something else. Um, Wow. And so, and it like would, it would kind of numb the inside of your mouth long enough for you to like shove some food in and then I'd have to like do it again. And I got to the, like I was like sticking these long Q-tips in my mouth, to, like dab it onto these sores. So that hurt like a mother. And then like you got like five minutes to like I was just drinking soup, dude. I would put butter and heavy cream in it to get calories because I just couldn't get solid food down. And then I was puking and all this. It was a mess. But like so that it would have been really easy to like feel sorry for myself and be like, oh, my life's so hard. But it's like I I got lucky in that way that I got to interact with that that young man um and his mom and so it's like the when i hear people compare suffering like that and and i'm sure i'm sure he didn't even that thought didn't even cross his mind he just because i was thinking about like what would compel him to say something like that in that moment and i think some of it is probably like frustration and probably like burnout of i have no doubt that like russ smith is putting in the hours and like he kind of like told a little bit of a story about how he like gets in screaming matches with people and almost gotten like physical altercations with people advocating for sailors, trying to push th- through things like a thousand childcare centers. And it's that stuff. Sailors I'm care sure about. He's almost wanted to punch some congressman. I guarantee Oh, a hundred percent. And I, and not just wanted to punch like, him, you, d- but like he's advocating, like he's putting in the work. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I don't think for a second that he's not frustrated and maybe a little bitter 
um, and burnt out. And so like when you get a question like that, he fell victim to being a human being and was like frustrated by it. It was just like he felt compelled to defend himself in that way. Like, like, no, this not blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Or, Or whatever. And it's not an excuse, but I think it might be a reason. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. like because he's it, it's like you're still the guy like you're still the guy until september and so yeah, like you're standing on, to kiss babies and shake hands yeah standing on that stage doing what he was doing it's like yikes like you the gotta keep together more is like wait we don't have a fire trainer anymore i don't know yeah I, I was su- when i, heard I was that, surprised I was like, that's a much worse thing that really needs to be advertised more because yeah the thing that ships shouldn't do which yeah. is sink and catch fire is pretty important. Yeah. I was surprised by that statement because I was like, what happened to it? Because I went through one. It's been there. I've seen videos of it since I went, which was, you know, yeah, forever ago. But yeah, because every Marine's a rifle and every sailor's a fireman, I thought. But yeah. if that's not being taught anymore. We got some big problems. That's it, that's insane. Like, that's I can't even when he said that, I was just like, is the other one just like out of commission? Or are you trying to upgrade it to like a newer one or what? But he made it sound like, yeah, there wasn't a DC trainer, which, you know, RDCs hit me up like I'm confused because <laughs> if that's yeah. not like and I, I'm not saying like I don't feel like you get a lot of. um, I think the most value and I, I maybe it got more in depth because, again, like I'm super old. I haven't been to boot camp since I was in boot camp. So like but when I went through it, dude, all it did was acclimate to me to like, oh, this is what it would look like. And feel like if I was in a, in a compartment that's on fire, like I don't re- I didn't remember anything like I couldn't have put an FFE. Oh, no, in, it's not like you're like, be like qualified yeah. to actually so, go into a right. space. No, but, but it's like but it's I, I thought it, it had a like lot when of value you go to the pool. Like you need to know that you're going to be in these situations where there's yeah. going to be smoke and you can't yep. see anything. And sure, right. we might have our, our smoke machines on the ship, but like you need to be introduced to this reality very soon and really digest that fact like this is the world that you're joining i think that that's something i was surprised he didn't bring up more of like you know a couple years ago when they started bringing up advanced warrior toughness right yeah i know every single old head that's probably listening to this or has ever heard of you know advanced warrior (laughs) toughness has a huge groan because they're like i've been to war you know two times yeah like what can some second class teach me about you know mindfulness i drink constantly and i don't be my wife so i'm a i'm a success story (laughs) and i'm like hold on again like foxholes that shouldn't be the bar for which we judge but to me when they were showing me like oh yeah we went to all these psychologists and we did all this you know research we found out that actually teaching people you know to actually yeah think stop breathe yep. gain themselves and so on like i sure, love it. that might not be yeah i was like I, I, love it. It, I was like awesome i love it i still think and like and they have talked about it like i still think it's like it's it's a great step but i think that like the the bigger problem and not that that's not a problem like they need to be equipped with those tools but i think it would have been that would have been like step two for me step one would have been leadership is like they're going to go to the fleet equipped with skills to cope with really negative input from leadership. Cause like that's again, man, like that's why we are where we are in my mind is like you, you and I was just talking to Jeff Bayless about this on the podcast. I recorded this morning. It's like, first you like, cause Mick Brown was talking about this, like where he's like, you need to be able to identify. Cause like the, the mental health resources have increased, but so has the demand. And he never thinks that the resources will outpace the demand. 
And but also like what you're addressing is the acute mental health issue. You're not addressing why we have a me- uh, an acute mental health issue. Right. So like he was saying, like, we need to look out for each other, take care of each other. It needs to start at the deck plate. Supervisors, chiefs, first classes, second classes need to be like interacting with sailors when they see something that's off. And I'm like, OK, one, I don't think that most leadership is qualified to to know. Like, I don't think they have the skill to recognize when something's off always. Right. But when they do reckon too, like when they do recognize something's off, they generally default to discipline. Like they're going to write a counseling sheet or they're going to like yell at you or tell you oh, you're yeah. not meeting some metric or whatever, or even like DRB eventually where they're going to cor- like use corrective measures because the symptom of the problem is you're late to work or the symptom of the problem is you smell like alcohol or whatever. The not, symptom of the problem is, yeah, is you, you have an, yeah, you have an attitude problem. Yeah. Why aren't you sleeping? Why are you like, yeah, you fall asleep on watch. Like, well, it's because I didn't sleep well. Well, why didn't you sleep well? Or like, I'm late. Well, why are you late? Oh, because I don't have a car. Why do you not have a car? Because it was stolen and I live off base and I didn't tell you any of these things and my whole life's on fire. And like you pull back, you pull the thread, you find out what the actual problem is and address it. You solve so many, so many problems, right? Like the symptom that you had will no longer happen like logically. Like, I mean, who knows? But like it, you've removed the reason for that symptom in the first place. So that's fixed now. Also, they know their leadership cares about them because you interjected themselves in that process. So that's solved. They trust you a little I bit mean, more because you've backed it up and, and fixed a thing for them. So that goes away. And then their need is being met. Right. So like the any discontent or other symptoms that could have come from the, or eventually snowballing into a mental health issue, like potentially goes away. And it's not like you're going to fix everything like mental health issues will always exist. But good God, I bet you there'd be a huge decrease if leadership had the emotional intelligence to interject in these ways. But we've never taught them how like they're not we've never qualified them how it's like it's like you were talking about CDO. Well, like, GMT <laughs> hasn't been released yet. So we're <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. That. We're and working we on checking that box, <laughs> turning the spreadsheet green. Um, like, I think yeah, like man. how you're saying it's us that's the source, not the source of the problem, but we we have we bear a lot more responsibility in fixing the problem as opposed to just charlieing out with the chaplain, right? Like I dude, I, I honestly think this- we're the source, like of the majority of it. I would I think that's an accurate statement. Honestly, like not maybe not you until you know what I mean? Like like I Oh no, no no, I'm not I'm taking just this saying personally. Like, no no no. No, no I'm, I'm saying, like, not the saying outside, you are just, yeah. uh, you know, things that make it happen. And the fact that, like how you said, the fact that we go straight to discipline, you're late. So fuck you. Yeah. You're late. So you're the problem. You're late because you're the stinky kid. And no one thinks about like, well, the underlying things that make people the stinky kid are normally something that happened before they joined the Navy, something involving their family that right. probably needs to you know, be done with professional help, not counseling shits. Right. And that to me, like how you said, that involves emotional intelligence. But like I had an old master chief when I was overseas, right? Great. I mean, probably one of the best, most motivational people. You probably heard of him, maybe not. But right before I left, right, I was like, well, hey, you know, do you have any advice to me, you know, if I ever make chief? And he's like, the problem with the mess is this. The mess thinks that they are on some pillar up on the hill somewhere. And if chiefs were doing their actual job of talking to their first classes, talking to their second classes, and actually like listening to them, guiding them, training them, training their actual relief, then we wouldn't have nearly as many issues as we do because 
when they start to talk to junior personnel like they're an actual person, not just I'm the authority yes. figure, I'm the person that sets liberty and so on and so forth. You gain that trust because yeah. the thing that I was seeing before was that the higher in leadership you go, the more of a bubble you inadvertently become a part of, right? I yeah. go from being yeah. my nickname to now I am, you know, IT1. And then mm-hmm. from being IT1, now you're maybe the LPO. And then from there, then you join the true evil empire of the cactus, <laughs> right? And the thing that I try to educate everybody on that I meet into, right? You've seen the memes on, you know, uh, stuff my LPO says yep. and, you know, de-accelerate my life and all over slash Navy, right? Everyone bemoans yeah. the chief's mess and says we're yep. the worst thing yep. to ever have in the Navy. We should be abolished and this and this. And I happen to tell, you know, my, I would say grizzled first classes and salty second class, like, hey, hey, hey. It's not like all of a sudden an anchor came on someone's chest and they became a piece of human garbage and was like, you know what? I right. don't care about fraternization anymore. They're, <laughs> they were a piece of garbage as a seaman. Yeah. Yep. And they just somehow fell up throughout the system or through sheer attrition, just happened to make it through. And they looked really nice on paper somehow because they looked really good. And you know what? The system works a lot of times. A lot of people that got advanced before me were great people in the mess. Yeah. There's a lot of great people. Like it's very, I come from a very, like, I'd say I had a privileged career because I had a great first class mess. My first yeah. chief's mess was a great chief's mess. They were yeah. very intrusive. They were very involved. Like we changed our entire watch bill because we had a first class that a former chief just happened or a senior chief having to know from a previous command was like, yo, this guy knows what's going on. He's going to be awesome. We should have him in our duty section. He brought the idea of changing our watch bills. We got the buy-in from the mess. The mess brought it up to the senior leadership. Senior leadership was like, all right, we'll do it. We'll see how it goes. And they're still using that watch bill today because we brought that faith in the system down to our junior sailors and we trusted them. They put that trust in us and we routed it up. And to me, that was like just those small wins that never get celebrated so much because People have this idea, and even instructor duty, I see it where second class and first classes, and even like the seamen, they take what we are at boot camp as these yellers of authority to do X, Y, and Z because lives depend on it. And they forget that, like, hey, man, soft diplomacy also works. You don't have to be a yelling, screaming machine. And this isn't after World War II where everyone joined the military because of God and country, right? A lot of these kids, sailors, adults, are joining because they came from dead towns. They probably didn't have a college degree or they failed a college. They weren't coming from the best home situations. And they're like, you know what? I need to get out of this dead end town. I need to make some change in my life. You know what? I've changed my major 15 different times. I need to have some sort of support for my family that I got. And they're going through this stuff. And to me, to have that sort of recognition in yourself and realize, hey, these we say kids, but we got to remember too that we're kids too. We just grew up in a bigger bodies. Yeah. Like we not, not every sailor is the most emotionally well-adjusted human being. And right. just because you're an instructor now, or because you're a chief now or a first class at some command, you're like, now I can yell like how my chiefs yelled at me, like calm down there lightning. Well, and like I wonder your job is to try to take care of sailors. I wonder how much of the, of the season uh, impacts the perception of like, Oh, like that that's the move i guess because you do like especially at the beginning and there's it, it seems to be tapering off um in the, in the last few that i've seen where there's a lot less of that like yelling and um and just like, like a lot of there's been a lot of seasons that i've been a part of where the selects are in training and they're just getting like 
screamed at and told they suck and like you know <laughs> everything they do is what? wrong and it's just yeah and it's like i have I'm no already, idea what this man's talking about uh, yeah, i've never I experienced I, this in any way shape or form this lies. uh this rest of this podcast will be on patreon <laughs> i uh i've always like sat in the back of the room at those types of trainings and and just thought to myself like how is this adding value you know what i mean and it's just like and what am I breaking right now? Because I think it's it's like getting fat, right? Like it's like it's a lot easier to get fat than it is to get in really great shape and stay there. And I feel like the mm. same thing with like bad leaders. It's a lot easier for a minority of bad leaders to do a lot of damage than it is for good leaders to like create a great environment or culture or like uh, unit cohesion and then keep it there. Right. Or build that trust oh, yeah. and maintain it. You know what I mean? And it's like. I don't but even think so, right? we're doing the best job of like of building chiefs to go into that role with like the emotional intelligence and empathy and like building well, that relationship and trust. And there, and I would disagree. How so? In in the past, maybe, but again, this is all anecdotal. It's been getting better. I've been a part for of sure. Yeah, exactly. With the with the big change where they actually did the uh, you know laying the keel and like I was telling, when all of yeah. a sudden and again my seasons were different because the last two seasons we did we were on deployment. Right. So everyone else has right. this huge bemoan about chiefs that made it the last two seasons yeah. because of the COVID environment that we were in. Yeah. But at least for those deployed chiefs that were in bubbles, right. quote unquote right. bubbles. Right. To me, I felt a lot of great value got put into them. And yeah. I feel like they got a lot of great training. They got a lot of good information. And to me, like, again, like I'm. I heard one person talking about how their, you know, their uncle's a senior chief in the Navy and he's talking about, oh, the Navy's changed. I'm like, yeah, it's a lot better. It's gotten yeah. a lot better. And the problem is that it is that like, doesn't, that doesn't help either with these <laughs> people that are like, we've lost yeah, seven of our shipmates in the past yeah, seven exactly. months. Like, yeah, but it could be worse. But like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Like, it, yeah, for instance, it's on, on objectively better than it was 21 years ago. But yeah, there's it no doesn't smoking mean there's, and Yeah, it doesn't mean like, there's not the a ton of problems. General. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, to me, the easiest thing anybody can be, and especially for sailors, junior sailors, and especially senior leadership, the easiest thing we can do is be a cynic. Yeah. The easiest thing we can do is say, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Like, it's easy yep. to look down a, a cracked road and say this is really jacked up or your driveway is all messed up or these walls got all these cracks. And it's a lot harder to find the right mortar, to get the right yep. supplies and to yep. fix all that stuff and go through the system and make it better than what it was, you know, to be the, yeah. the chief that you wish you had or to, you know, take care of the sales. And even yep. with that, right. My, my mess was a good mess, but even still, we still had low morale. We still had during our command climate surveys, people saying, Oh, well the mess is doing X, Y, and Z, or these people are bad and this and this and this. I'm like, and again, there's only my, my, I believe my job as a chief, because I've always hated the term perception is reality. Cause if all of a sudden you close your eyes, that mean the world stopped existing. Yeah. Right. When you yeah. go to sleep, does the world just disintegrate and only reappear when you wake up? So my thing has always been like, if you can help shape someone's perspective, right? If you can help maybe change the perspective a little bit, take them away from looking, you know, five feet in front of their nose. Yeah. And trying to see that bigger end of the picture, maybe that can help change it. Not to just compare yeah. and say you're not in a foxhole, but I try to make it a little bit inspirational. Like, hey man, I know what working retail's like. I know what it's like working those dead end jobs. And every time you're thinking about, you know what? I'm not shining my boots. I'm going to show up late. They're not going to you know, do X, Y, and Z. Like imagine if I dropped you back off at Dunkin' Donuts right now. Yeah. Would you take that job? No. Yeah. 
then if you're lacking motivation, think about what you were doing before you joined and maybe that can help you out. But yeah. I think like with the advanced warrior toughness training with people being more empathetic, but like you said, it's like, how do you train empathy? How do you train someone to care about yeah. another person genuinely? Yeah. But I, I will say this. If you know anyone that's in the spec war community, right? Yeah. They have, I think it's like seven different uh, on standby, either therapists or psychologists because they know that those people at that tip of the spear need to have therapists. They need to have psychologists yeah. because they're doing that dirty work that you know needs to be done. Right. 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 So but why I, couldn't there be more than just chaplains exactly. on these ships is my point. Because well, not everybody's yeah. a religious person. And, yeah, and I just think, having that ear that's not in your chain of command is it pays dividends in the end that can't be, you know, that literally can't be measured. But to me, it has yeah. a lot more value than what most people would give it. Yeah. And I think his point of like the uh, at, like access to care, like, oh, there's only so many resources and blah, blah, blah. I'm like with telemedicine and like everything that is is possible nowadays, especially after COVID, bringing like a lot of perspective on and like just creating a lot of innovation and in, like how you can accomplish those things. It's like I bet you a Zoom call with a therapist is going to be a lot better than like either a not like nothing or b like talking to a chaplain that might may or may not like which my experience with chaplains have been great like they're it's they're they're generally trained in counseling and they don't they understand like that it's not like they're going to go in there and be all preachy like they understand yeah, they're like not, if you're you know not what you need you yeah need thoughts and prayers that's <laughs> you know what's you your problem you need like, jesus no. like yeah, exactly. no it's like, not it's not usually like that they're pretty they're pretty great but um but yeah as far as like saying that it's like oh well that's good enough or that's the best thing we got or whatever. I'm like, there's gotta be better solutions there. But also like, I think, I think a lot of the need could be met by just an empathetic human being. But like you're saying, like how, so how do you teach that? I think it's, I think it's possible to build it into the like institutional norms and educate people, but it would, it would require a huge institutional shift and probably a lot of money. And it's all stuff that there's just no appetite for, unfortunately. Well, and but, that's why I feel that it's a part of like this old guard that needs to retire and needs to yeah. go away. Cause when I heard about, like I said, I'm not just trying to be some advocate and, you know, like I don't get a commission for uh, talking yeah. about, you know, the mindfulness and the, it, you know, the toughness training that's going out there. But this whole idea of, well, I grew up like same thing with like watch standard qualifications, the, the mentality of, well, I didn't go that way. So right. you don't need to go that way. I learned right. hard. So it's going to be hard for everybody. Exactly. Like that's not, it's that doesn't make dead. a better Navy. That doesn't yeah. make better semen. That doesn't give people some buy-in and be like, well, at least, and it, again, it leads back into that. Well, at least it's not a foxhole. Well, yeah. shut up. I'm not in a foxhole. <laughs> I'm here. But that's also like, I think to, in order to have that conversation, because you were talking about earlier about like having, having the conversation where you're changing perspective, it's like, there's got to be trust there and there's just mm -hmm. not. And I don't, again, like I have a lot of faith in Russ Smith. I don't know him personally, but like, I, I believe that he's a good dude. Take that for what you will. Like, mm -hmm. but I think that in order for that person or anyone wearing khakis and anchors to work at all to be trusted, the mess has to be trusted and the mess isn't trusted because I don't know about you, but every place I go, I, when I meet new people, I have to overcome the barrier generally <laughs> of they don't trust chiefs. And I, and I get people all the time like, 
oh well you're different you're not you're not like everybody else and it's like but i well, am I'm a part of the mess too yeah <laughs> I, I and that's i've gotten that from from people um i had this fc1 he's a chief now he's probably on his way out the door but um he was one of my nmti's when i was at the a school and he would talk all kinds of trash about how dumb cooks were all the time and i'd i'd walk in and i'd be like dude i'm standing right here <coughs> excuse me well and he yeah, goes I mean, wow you're not a cook you're not and i but i am though mm-hmm. but i am <coughs> and i know a lot of guys and girls like me and so then we got some other chiefs too that were like kind of on the same page as me that were really really smart getting after it super motivated doing the right things and then so then I think his his outlook changed a little bit, but it's the same thing with chiefs. It's like there's a lot of amazing chiefs out there. Mm-hmm. And then the a lot of their effectiveness goes away, especially I, I know a lot of good ones that don't recognize that the mess doesn't have the trust that it like they think it does like they, they don't recognize that there's this huge gulf. They just think that, oh, by virtue of the fact that I'm a chief, I should walk in a room and have this amount of credibility and this amount of trust and this amount of whatever. And it's like, that's not real. Yeah. Like, it's you're at a trust deficit. by osmosis. You're at a deficit. Like, I I bet you like you could take a, a hot running first class that everybody loves as an LPO and a leader and whatever. And they trust him. And he's like the ship's mascot. Put anchors on him the next day and he's going to have to go start over and yeah. like re-earn that trust. Mm-hmm. You're like, did they brainwash you? Like, what happened? Do you have a chip in the back of your head? Like, mm-hmm. they're immediately going to have less trust for that person. And that's just where we are. And once we recognize this is where we are and take ownership of that and start to repair it institutionally, organizationally, then I think we'll be in a way better place. But it's like you're starting at a deficit 100% of the time. Oh, I agree. And, and that's the thing is that like, what do we do? Is there supposed to be some sort of like a bear, you know, some measurement test be like, all right, we got rid of all the, the bad ones. All the good ones are left. Yeah. Like you see a lot of people that are in, you know, like for me, technical rates that advance relatively quick. Yeah. Or you see people that are making chief in six and seven years. And a lot of the, the bad mentality that I came in with that, you know, we're still uh, like GMCs that I knew when I was in boot camp that didn't like the idea of women on ships. Well, yeah. that, I'm glad that those people have retired now. Right. It's a totally different world. But yeah, I, but go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, it, the thing is, is that it just a, it's a day by day thing. Like, yeah. But again, one chief messes it up because they did fraternization. Then mm. it's back to, you know, Sisyphus. Right. You just you got to push that boulder back up the hill, even though, you know, the boulder is going to fall right back down tomorrow. And I think yeah. that's part of the problem is that. That goes back to resiliency. That goes back to not being a cynic. That even like instructor duty, right? You can't just let the small amount of people that are messing up for whatever reason make you think all sailors are garbage. Well, because these people can't do X, Y, and Z, and they were, you know, doing this and this and this, then that means the whole Navy is garbage. Well, that's the same mentality that junior sailors would have about chiefs or officers or so on and so forth. And if we just be like, hey, we're fallible human beings. Exactly. But that's so that exact thing that you just said is is. So I think in addition to pushing the boulder back up the hill, knowing it's going to come back down uh, somewhat, sometimes 
I think is an understanding that we need to build in. But I think there's a way to also try to figure out a way to keep that motherfucker at the top of the hill. You know what I mean? Even though, <laughs> even though it's going to stay somehow. Yeah. Well, I'm just so I'm just saying like the, the way I would approach it and, and I, like I don't have like the clarity of a like a fully formed plan that I think is a slam dunk. But I so I obviously think operators are standing by leadership development and education is step one. It's like mm-hmm. we're not doing enough. We're not even close. Right. And so I think you fix a lot of those problems by building really robust leadership development and education at every level, not just enlisted officers, everything. Um because we're not doing that. Like we've taken some small steps. I think the ELD stuff's a nice, a nice step in the right direction. But it's like, it's like twenty um, percent of what I feel like we need. And then I think another one is there's a reframing that I think needs to happen of the Chiefs mess as an institution. And I think a lot of it is kind of the stuff you were you were saying about like where they think the the Mass Chief said they think they're on a pedestal and they think that they're separate and they think that they're better. And it's like they do. So like. I think mm-hmm. at the at the fleet and force and Mikpon level that needs to get lit on fire and burned to the ground because it's not real. And I don't know what that looks like exactly, but it needs to get torn down. And I think that you could do that in several ways. I think there's there's some reframing that needs to happen in like the expectations. I mean, you might be able to at like I think there's a, a reboot that's needed as far as like revising the CPO creed and like I think mission vision guiding principles could be added to I don't I don't have any like real problem with the current content but I think there could be some other stuff where you just put a large a larger focus and premium on like just humility and understanding where you came from and also just like there's a lot to be said for this the artificial separations that exist and it's everything from like separate parking and birthing to different uniforms to like the privileges that can come and all these other things where it's like when you look around at other services i'm not saying they don't exist sort of but they're not you can look at a gunny in uniform it's the same uniform with another stripe you go look at the the army it's the same uniform with another stripe like they're not different and we've created all these artificial artificial separations, like eating meals in different places and like all this. Stuff. It's like of all the things I would I would delete that first, man. Like if I was a, I always said if I was a cob on a submarine, the first thing I was going to do is delete the chief's table because we don't have our own like mess to go eat in. But there's a table and they eat early, which I think is stupid. I'm like, that should be the really? last thing. Like you should eat last. Yeah. So they call. Yeah, they call the quarters, which is like the mess. Right. And because we don't eat in there generally, um, sometimes guys will take a plate in there, but you're not supposed to. And uh, they'll invite them and they'll eat early, like ahead of oncoming watch standards, which I always thought was disgusting. And I, I refuse to do it. Um, and so like I, was, I, like, when either- I was on my Amphib and I saw Marines going up for uh, for chow at the head of the line. Like, hold on. Are you all watch? No, no, no. I'm letting everybody cut in front of you just right. because I know. You're just occupying yeah. gym space. Sorry. Like, why? Like, yeah. Like, why? Like why would you have front of the line privileges? Get the out of here. You know, like, and it's the same. I feel the same way about chiefs on a submarine. I'm like, why? You're not special. And I think that it gets that gets compounded when they're like eating in their own space, birthing in their own space, parking separately. I've heard. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard on aircraft carriers they use a separate brow. I'm like. That's disgusting. If that's real, that's gross. There and is I've one had, for officers. They probably have yeah, to use it. Too, I don't know yeah. if chiefs do it or not. I don't. I don't know. But like, I've heard a lot of gross stories. Like some E four getting posted at a parking lot to police who was parking there because it was for E seven and above. I'm like, you're employing wow. a sailor 
to like control access to a parking lot because you're more important than everyone else. And like, it's that kind of stuff. I feel like it's, it sounds kind of trivial, but I don't think it is. And it's not but because that the actual E4 that got posted to watch exactly, the parking space. Exactly. What, what's your buy-in to try to become a second class? I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, first classes yeah. that don't even want to take the exam on purpose just because they don't want to join the mess. I remember yeah, hearing I that in my last 100%. command. 100%. I've talked to people that I just have no interest. And I mean, so I've, I've talked to, to people that it's like they don't want the responsibility, like they don't want all the stress and extra stuff that comes along with it. But most of the responses, it's like, I don't want to be part of that organization. So like, they're either pursuing a commission or they're just mm. actively avoiding promoting because they're going to separate or are content to retire as a first class. And it's like, but that's the crazy thing to me is that like, again, all the messes I've been a part of, there might have been some issues, right? But as a whole, no one woke up, I guarantee in any mess in the Navy right now, wakes up in the morning and is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to make every sailor yeah, that works yeah. for me or every sailor that right. I come in contact with, I'm going to make their day worse. And that's the like, thing. I like, can't honestly believe that anyone actually thinks that when they wake I, up. And I agree with you. And I think do. I, yeah, well, <laughs> I agree <laughs> with you. There's... Well, I agree with the statement about the Chiefs. Like, I don't <laughs> I mean, there are some junior people that just don't care. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I, you can say the same thing about Chiefs, like the evil ones, the mm-hmm. ones that are functioning like actual evil humans are the ones that do. But they're they're very, very rare. Mm-hmm. But like the as far as like the ones that have the impact that's perceived as them waking up in the morning, wanting to make everybody's life hurt. It's like. I don't think they're doing it on purpose, but like the the perception on the end user side of the the interaction is that they are. And that's a problem. Right. And, and it's then like that just and gets it's communicated to all chiefs. <laughs> right. And, but it's 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 one of those things where it's like it's part of the gig, man. It's like you have to take ownership of that perception, even if you believe it to not be true. If you're waking up in the morning going, I'm going to be the best chief I can possibly be for my people today. But then your actions create a perception by your people that they can't trust you and that you don't have their best interest at heart. Then it's not a perception because they're going to behave it's a fucking reality. Yeah, they're going to behave as if they really can't trust you and as if you really are evil. So it's like so that's the problem you have to fix. It's like you're you you may not have that intent. Just like I don't think the Mitpon had any negative intent, but the impact still happened and it's still happening on a regular basis. So like so you can't ignore the problem because you're sitting on your end of the of the interaction going, well, I tried my best and my intent was good. It's like, well, that's cute. You're still failing as a leader. Yeah, like you're still failing. And so it's like your evaluation of yourself as a leader is almost irrelevant. Like I need you to have self-awareness and I do want you to have like that self analysis kind of happening as a, as a background function, if you have the self-awareness to do it competently. But it's like, I care about how my people perceive me more than anything else, because that's what matters. Like they're not going to follow me or respond to my leadership in the way that I want them to. If, if they're not like receiving me the way I intended. Right. And so like my intent it doesn't matter unless it's being received the correct way. You know what I mean? So it's like, I know a lot of people, it's why I wrote an article on Substack called leadership styles are, are, aren't real. Right. Like, <laughs> and it's because I, I, I talk to people and they're like, 
well, this is my leadership style. This is what works best for me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I guarantee you there's some end user of your leadership that thinks it's you like, suck. He's at garbage. It. Yeah. He's thinks you're terrible because you're unwilling to adapt to their needs. You're tailoring, tailoring your leadership to your needs. And that's incorrect. Like you're doing it wrong. I, it, and I don't think there's an argument to be made there. Like I understand that like certain people have certain uh, like personality traits or things that they're comfortable with. And so like, there's certain things that they're better at than they're they are at like like some people it's it's harder to be empathetic and or it's a hard to um like stand in front of a group of people and passionately communicate something or whatever like but that's you don't have to be great at it for it to be the right move you know what i mean like you're part of the problem exactly and it's like that's what frustrates me the most about the way the mess functions is like there's this belief system that's almost an ideology that it's like this is the way that chiefs do these things. And it's like, no, that's not right. Like there are, I'm, I'm fine with having principles or pillars or, or an ethos or of a creed or whatever, where we have like these like ethical goals for our leadership and for our like organization. But like to try to say that this, like this is how chiefs are supposed to behave and then painting, a, <coughs> excuse me, I'm still getting over some crud, mm. um, still painting a picture of like, it during the season and everything else where like like yelling is the move or discipline is automatically the move or whatever instead of installing emotional intelligence and the mechanisms to employ it and you know what i mean like and and making them understand that like discipline should be the last resort like i almost never wrote counseling sheets and the only time i did was when i just had repeat offenders that didn't respond to the first half dozen conversations i had with them where i gave them every chance in the world and i i even when I had to, to do it, when I had to write a counseling sheet, I would tell them like, look, I hate doing this. Like I, I'm writing this because you're giving me no choice. At some point, the accountability needs to start happening. Oh, yeah. With There's you. only so much like, you know, gentlemen's agreements and gentlemen yeah. agreements we can have. Like, well, you're, hurting the, too? Yeah. you're hurting everybody else. So it's I, like, I literally had one guy where it took my entire division to try to square him away. I sent him to captain's mass. This is like my first year as a chief. Send him to captain's mass. Said, you know, I, I don't trust him on our deployment, so on and so forth. And I basically wrote him off, right? Yeah. Then deployment happens and he basically fixes himself. No issues. Does his job. Does it really well. No issues on the flight line. No issues past that point. And another chief comes in, takes my place, and he becomes sailor of the quarter right before he leaves. Like, I was just like, well, I thought I was doing everything right. I thought it's it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of times to leadership, like how you said, we need to look at ourselves honestly and be like and question ourselves and say, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe I'm not doing this the right way. And I think also not just within the mess itself, but remember, if you weren't doing this, if you weren't calling people out and trying to hold people accountable when you were in the first class mess, then it's going to be hard to try to train that into someone in five or six weeks. Yeah. If they weren't, because yeah. I remember, again, I was lucky to be at the mess that I was as a first class, right? We would call each other out and I stepped down from a position that I was at because I knew I wasn't doing it to the degree that it needed to be done at. And the person that replaced me was doing a great job at it. But the key point that a, a senior first class, he then became chief, told me was this, is that you need to understand the separation between the mess and the association, and I think that is something that gets lost in the sauce between all of it, from the JEAs to the white hat, you know, uh, 
organizations and first class and chiefs mess where they think, you know, the people that want to make an impact, they want to make a change, get disillusioned by, you know, the swag bag sales and coin sales and, you know, bake sales and all this other stuff and forget that that is the association which still has its own purpose and for esprit de corps and team building and so on. But your mess is the organizational thing that regardless if you're paying dues at, you are a part of. And as a first class, you should be training your second classes and chiefs. We should be training our first and seconds and so on about that emotional intelligence. Like when I'm, when I'm talking to students, I tell them, like, you hear people bemoan about collateral queens. I get it. You don't want someone that does nothing but collaterals and they don't know their job. I hear you a thousand percent. But would you want someone to be your LPO if when they were third class, they never even became a work center suit? If they were never did career counseling as a divisional, you know, collateral duty, if they never even tried to become an ESO and learned something about that, or maybe tried to become as a first class an assistant DAPA and then learned about the DAPA program and went to an AA, like how can you want to be a leader? Because people will want titles, but they won't want the responsibility that comes with that, which means you need to be a little bit more well-rounded than just, well, why can't I just do my job and promote? Because... To me, the big difference within the Navy and the military in general, right? And I tell them, it's like, you didn't join to be a seaman. Now, I didn't join knowing what a chief was. I joined because I needed a job, right? But as I joined, I learned that everyone's going to become a leader at some point. And we talk about leadership as if it only begins when you're an LPO or a chief. But I guarantee there's some E4 female showing up to it or that's, you know, an E4 BM on a ship somewhere that sees some seaman female showing up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed from A school or wherever it is, and she needs some guidance. She's going to need someone to be that voice of wisdom in the forest right now to keep her head straight so she doesn't get, you know, taken advantage of. And there's people out there and ranks that exist all over right now that need someone that they're just like, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not an LPO. Like, no, you are. You're an example. You're someone. I've learned stuff from first classes. When I went to my last ship, I had to ask all the second classes what to do because it was a totally new system that I'd never used. Right. We need to yeah. realize that everybody at every layer, they're going to become a second class at some point. And they're going to be an example. They're going to be that hand that someone's going to need to reach out and grab. And it's not just in fire parties. It's not just in floods. It's when someone's having a bad day because their parents are dying and they're in Hawaii. And for some reason, you know, an Amcross didn't come or the ship's doing circle tours off the vacapes and they can't get home because the CO or the shop won't let them. And someone needs to be there to be like, hey, man. I, I'm here. Tell me what's going on. What's what's the problem? And I think that's something that and also just it just goes back to what we were talking about, right, where I feel leadership needs to empower their people as to not just be like I tell people is like, listen, man, you need to get into your vocabulary as soon as you possibly can. My people, yeah. my division, yep. my this. Right. Because when you're works in her soup, then you start to learn. If you can get like to the next quarter, you are solid. If you can yeah. look that far ahead and be like, hey, wait, when's he going on leave? When's she doing this? Okay, well, that yeah. person's got watch this day and this day and this day. And they have, if you've got a backup works in her soup, if you can get everybody qualified, like those to me are the big things. But I got a big rant I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on right now. Let's go. Time. Let's do it. I'm in, dude. I got okay. all the time in the world as long right. as like my wife doesn't call me again. So... It goes back into uh, this idea that I've hated since I first heard about it from, I think it was like my third CO on my uh, old ship. He was definitely a part of the old guard. 
and he had this shirt. And I'm sure there may be some listeners out here have this shirt. And it was like, when I was an ensign, we stood port and starboard in, in you know, in port. When yeah. I was an ensign, you know, da, 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 it was this whole yeah. line of basically like, I remember the big quotes. We, we were terrified of this guy because he said the, you know, the chaplain was in charge of the volunteer service committee, right? Yeah. And he was like, volunteer service is a waste of man hours. If you want to volunteer, <laughs> come in on Saturdays and needle gun a deck. Uh. Put some terracotta down in a friggin' <laughs> fan room and paint this ship. Now, I will say this. We had the best paint job on the fleet. I will say okay. that because we didn't go anywhere and we couldn't go on deployment. I mean, we yeah. had those gold anchors. Dope. But, like, <laughs> he had this mentality of ship, shipmate, self. Yeah, I hate that. And I think that, to me, is the, the Navy ethos that breeds this idea of you're not in a foxhole. Yeah. It could be worse. Yeah. We were, you know, the baton was on deployment for 11 months. So you guys can handle six months or yeah. seven months or whatever. This idea that, well, I had it worse. Well, when I joined the Navy X, Y, and Z, well, they used to flog sailors back in yeah. the 1800s. So <laughs> shut yeah, should, up. Like, should we start whipping people on the ma- on the mast exactly. head or well, whatever? I, I would bring that up to sailors. I'm like, yeah, September 28th, they like, I think it was like 1800 sometimes. They they disallowed flogging anymore. And sailors were asking me, was like, well, why did they, you know, flog them? Was it because of sapper reasons? I'm like, no, was, people were gambling. Yeah, they were caught saying stupid. the Lord's name in vain, and they were tied to the mast, and they were flogged within an inch of their lives, and they had to get back to work. There's no restriction. Yeah. It was just okay. You're basically beaten almost half to death, and now you know, grab a oar. That would be you know John Paul Jones's also first CO to be relieved due to mutiny twice. So when we think about our Godfather, <laughs> yeah. he's also relieved due to poor command climate. If we really want to <laughs> twice, exactly. <laughs> I did not know that. I yes, look that up. But uh, (laughs) that fighting spirit. But I hated that phrase and I've hated that terminology. And I know that everyone's like, well, mission first, sailors always. Okay, well, how do you make that calculus work, shipmate? Right. And that's the everything's a priority. So nothing's a priority. Yeah. Like (laughs) updating your freaking end fast becomes the end of the world because everything's a priority, like everything. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. but then they're like, oh, yeah, just. Uh, just work out and uh, do things you like and get lots of sleep to deal with your mental health problems. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to hit you. Like, don't like I, mm. when people say stuff like that out loud, I like, I want to put my hands. Like, I, how are you so stupid that you believe that that's real? Like mm. we can't do that. If we could do that, we wouldn't have half the problems that we have. Like if everybody had time to get eight hours of sleep, still have a like spend time with their family, have hobbies and go to the gym. We'd be working four hours, like four day work weeks, like six hours a day. Mm-hmm. Like it'd be like, like we wouldn't have time to do anything else. And so it's just like, I, it doesn't and- compute. And it wasn't until I was, and this happened before I went to that ship when I heard that, is that I was, this MM2 that I was going through ASF Academy with, right? Mm. He told me it was on the Blue Ridge, which didn't, you know, that didn't really ring with me then. I was like, what is this? Like, oh, we had an admiral on board. And the admiral, I guess, kicked all the khakis out of their, you know, galley. Mm -hmm. He was like, I want to tell you what my priorities are. Now, I'm not telling you what your priorities should be, but I'm telling you what my priorities are. My priority is... You need to take care of yourself. And if you can't take care of yourself, how can I expect you to take care of your shipmates? If you can't take care of your shipmates, how can you even begin to care about this ship, this mission, you know, getting qualified and so on and so forth. And I've really taken that to heart because then to my very last ship that I checked on board to, 
I guess the day before I showed up, uh, a sailor taking his life. Right. And this was a very hard thing that affected people for a long time. There's still people that are actually on that crew right now that were there during that time. Right. And, uh, before that, I remember some people were telling me that in, you know, in certain surveys, it was put out like, Hey, you know, I, I feel like I need to go to mental health, but there's colloquially a term that you may have heard in the fleet. I'm sure people here have probably heard it. You know, like, Oh, well, they got a, they came down with a case of sad Panda disease. Yep. Yeah. And on some the, Marines, we call it going sad, but yeah, yeah or, going or sad or, out. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've heard people say, how are you feeling today? Like I got the big sad chief. I'm like, yeah. oh, wait, wait, hold on. I don't take that as a joke anymore. Yeah. So, uh, he had taken his life and we then had to like organize, you know, his family, the memorial and all that. We, we named the gym after him and we had, you know, shirts and all this other stuff. We had, uh, like during the anniversary of his birthday, we would have, uh, like PT sessions. It was a big deal. And I know that's it cool. still affects a lot of people that have, you know, black bracelets. Uh, yeah. That's cool that, that they went so far like, and, and did all that to memorialize him. Cause like I've, I've seen it happen where that that kind of stuff doesn't happen. So, I mean, it's obviously tragic. But oh, yeah. The fact that the crew did all that, I, I, that's really cool. Oh, yeah. we It was a very, very tight crew. And yeah. the problem was is that even when that did happen, right, we still had – I had chiefs that I knew were going through some serious, serious issues with their family, with mental health issues. And they would tell me, you know, that they – you know, what do I do? Do I go to mental health? Because they had this idea that, you know, because again, we, we might be doing boarding parties. We might be doing things where, you know, I'm the most trained chief in regards to this evolution. I don't want to leave. And now we get some new person that hasn't done this stuff that doesn't know. I don't know. You know, they're just, you know, the way that our community was going, you were just always changing out people, right? We would always have yeah. like, when I got there within two weeks, there was like 20 new people there. And we had, I think eight or nine that after that time frame, left due to mental health. Yeah. Right. And right before we got on deployment, that happened where one of the chiefs, you know, disqualified himself due to mental health. But in the people that did come on board to replace him, they were a little disgruntled. They were a little mad at that person personally. I know, but I will say this, that the person that replaced him, did a great job. Yeah. Came our DLCPO was probably one of the best chiefs that I, I can say I know, and I'm glad that he was there. And I guarantee any sailor that disqualified themselves due to mental health, their families are much happier that they're hearing about them not being on a ship as yeah. opposed to hearing about their obituary in the Navy Times, right? Right. And and this goes to the the craziest watch that I ever had in my entire career. I'm standing officer of the deck. And all of a sudden, our Isik uh, comes on board. I had no idea that this was coming. This wasn't a scheduled evolution. And then uh, Isik CMC comes on board. It's like, hey, muster the chiefs and the chiefs mess. I'm like, wait, what? What's going on? Uh -huh. So then I call, uh, you know, my CMC. I'm like, hey, uh, do you know that they're coming here? He's like, yeah. Muster all the chiefs and the chiefs mess. All right. What's going on? Okay. Muster all the chiefs and the chiefs mess. And then calls me back about five minutes later, says, hey, muster uh, the crew in the aft mission bay. All right. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. What is going on? Like, because we're thinking, okay, our deployment's going to get extended. You know, World War Three just got announced. 
Yeah. We're going to North Korea. Like what, what is happening <laughs> right now? Are we going to China? Are we going yeah. to like, what is going on? And, uh, all hands are mustered. The CO comes up and the CO says, I stand properly relieved of all duties and responsibilities as uh, commanding officer of this ship. The wow. XO says, I assume all duties and responsibilities as commanding officer of the ship. Turn two, you know, three cheers, hip, hip, parade. Uh, you know, captain departing. What? What is going on? I'm signing the deck log. This person is now taking change of the command, you know, going up to our legal. Like, hey, doesn't don't they need to sign this? Like, it's just, you know, calamity. I'm like, what is going on? What just happened? Did did they do something wrong? Is you know, this and this? And come to find out, uh, Skipper relieved himself because he had felt that he was not being the best skipper that uh, we deserved. Oh, wow. Hell, I should have probably put this backstory in here. Before this incident happened, right, my executive officer was a health and work nut. I would come in because I remember my former chief before me was like, hey, you, you want to become a good chief? You want to do a good job in this division? You need to be here before anybody else. Yeah. That first two hours, you're answering all those emails that you get. And answer all those emails. And then when you need to leave, leave a little bit later, but don't stay too late. You know, just go in, go in super early. Every time that I came in, whether it's 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., whatever have you, he was already in the gym on the treadmill. Yeah. He was already been there for an hour. He even had a running club at like noontime. He was already like running. He was Lord. a fitness nut, right? And he was a work nut. He was, he was you know, was, as an XO, right? As a hard ass. Yeah. Hey, always doing that work, but he was very educated, very concerned, very, you know, very cared about the crew. Then he goes away, comes back. He's a CO. Awesome. And then he is, there's a huge change. There's a sea change. He's still a great CO. He really cared about the crew. He was always there on the line with us, you know, and then he start, we see him not in the treadmill first thing in the morning, but he's smoking. Oh, gross. Now he's smoking. And now we smoke when we're on the, the bridges. Like things are like, this isn't the man that we had a couple weeks ago. What's going on? You could see they super stressed out. Yeah. We had one evolution I'll never forget where I looked over to the CMC. I'm like, yo, look at that. You're never going to see that again in your career. He relieved our, 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 our TIG operator because he didn't feel comfortable telling them like, Hey, you're going to be the one, you know, checking, uh, range bearing sea state for whatever ships are around us because we were in such a dangerous situation. He did not want that responsibility put on that person. He took it himself. Wow. I mean, the man was about the people in a way that I will never probably see again in my entire career. Right. Yeah. So then flash forward to that day when I'm on the quarter deck and now this same man that I saw be a giant health nut, who ended up, he started smoking. Then he relieved himself because he felt that we deserved the best CO that we could. And at that moment, I was like, well, that's, that's you. That's still you. Like our XO that replaced him. We still served on our deployment. We got a new CO. That CO was great. We did a whole lot of good work out there. We came back. And when we came back from that deployment, he was on the pier waiting for us. Yeah. We go on our next deployment. We do a whole lot of good stuff, a lot of great operations. And again, he's on the pier waiting for us the day that we come back. Yeah. Like, but you're never going to hear about that story because he, he took a knee. 
he took that L on himself to be like, you know what? The crew needs a better CO than me. And everybody in the crew was like, dude, I'll never see something that honorable again in my That's, entire life as yeah. far as I live. I've never heard anything like that. That's insane. No. Relieved um, himself. That's but to crazy. me, when that happened, I was like, no one. And you could say the same thing in two different ways, right? You'd be like, listen, you're not John Paul Jones. The Navy was here before you. The Navy will be here after you. You're easily replaceable. And that's a very detrimental statement, right? Yeah. But you could also say, listen, the Navy was here before you. Ships were floating. Ships were sailing. The same thing will happen. Take care of yourself. Right. The mission is still going to go on. The Navy will find people to take the job for you. Do not think that the mission is above you. And I guarantee your family will thank you for that. All those sailors, those fellow chiefs that took themselves out because they felt that they needed to take time to take care of their, their selves and their families to me made the right choice. Yeah. May they have hurt their career. I have no idea, but what is a career compared to a life? Right. And that to me is something that from the toppest of leadership from Rhode Island to Great Lakes to DC is something that needs to get put into place. We're not in foxholes anymore. Yeah. If we do anything, it's going to be in some very uh, space-driven kinetic energy is what I'm imagining in the future, if there is going to be anything, right? Yeah. We need to understand that, yes, as we always say, sailors are our greatest resource and mission first and sailors always. Well, you know what? I want sailors that feel comfortable doing their job. You know, if that means that 10,000 sailors can't go underway because they're getting disqualified because of mental health issues. Right, and those right. people are getting the help that they need and that needs to happen. Well, and I mean, it's such backward logic to think that the mission needs to come first and then we'll take care of sailors like secondary, but or whatever, like it's taking care of sailors is taking care of the mission. Like, and that's what I think is like so brain dead about that concept is like it, if you if you're taking care of them ahead of the acute mental health issues or whatever else, whatever other issue there is, if you're taking care of them ahead of that, then those issues don't take them off the board. You know what I mean? And then mm -hmm. you don't have thousands of sailors not going on deployment like it's a readiness issue. Like it, mm -hmm. it, and it's not how I, I don't like framing it that way because I I genuinely care about the human being. And and when the human being is in crisis, I could give like two shits about the mission you know what i mean at that point mm -hmm. because like you said that it's gonna keep spinning like somebody's gonna plug that gap the ship is gonna cast off all lines and go do god's work and you, you like you're gonna be fine like we're gonna figure it out i've had boats where they like people dropped for medical reasons and and mental health reasons and, and security clearance reasons and then you've got uh, a submarine with a crew da of damn near 200 people getting underway with three cooks. And it's like, that it's not good. Like they're supposed to have like seven or eight. And so it's like, but we just figure it out. Like we do all kinds of crazy stuff. And at that point, like I I'm at a flag staff command, like I'm at a flag level command. I'm not the ISIC. I'm above this. And I got involved and we made, made it happen. We pulled people off other units and put them on airplanes and flew them out to Guam mm -hmm. and put them on a submarine. And then they had what they needed. And so it's just like, it's the world's going to keep spinning. We're going to figure it out. Like worst case scenario, there's sailors qualified to do what you do on shore duty that we will yoink and go do the mission. Like it, it it's the world's going to keep spinning. But if you go into it, like attacking these problems first and ahead of them becoming a crisis, 
then it's like it's you're fixing the problem before it happens. We're minority reporting ourselves out of this. Like it's mm-hmm. we're we're I'm predicting that there's going to be this discontent. Like it's a spectrum of like discontent all the way to like suicidal thoughts and behaviors. And somewhere on that spectrum, I'm going to have a problem with the sailor if I don't proactively meet their needs. And I'm a big big fan of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like I think every, I think every chief in the Navy and LPO and everybody should have it tattooed on their arm. Like, so they can just reference it constantly. Like, it's just like, if if your sailor is, is not operating within the confines of mission requirements and like institutional norms and, and whatever other like metric you can come up with, there's a need not being met period. It's just factual information. Like there's a problem that they have that you can trace back to one of those category of needs. And it's like, if you can identify what the actual need is instead of saying, Oh, this sailor can't show up on time. Okay. But why can't they show up on time? Just like what we talked about earlier. And so you pull the, the thread until you get back to that unmet need. And then you say, okay, what can I do to help you meet this need? And then you do that, whether it's you directly or whether you're leveraging other resources on the ship or outside the lifelines of the command to make that happen. And yes, sometimes it's going to be mental health or hospitalization or they need to take some leave to go home or whatever. But you meet that need and then you don't end up in a place where you're having all of these like crises where you're losing people to like suicide or to medically disqualified or to um, like disciplinary issues or whatever, whatever attrition that there is, or just like normal attrition where they're just opting out. They're voting with their feet and leaving. And then you, you you end up with this mission readiness problem. Like their sailor that was asking like, why are all these civilians? Like, why is everybody going to get a $25,000 bonus and we don't get anything because you're voting with your feet. And because Mm -hmm. we're doing a bad job as leaders, creating an environment where talented people want to stick around and they're voting with their feet. So now we got to throw money at people before, like for everything, like we're having such a hard time recruiting people. We're literally paying everyone at least 25 grand to join the Navy and do anything. And it's like the campaign is probably built on a premise of like, maybe we can talk them into going to the places where we have the biggest needs, but still like that's where we're at is people are voting with their feet based on their experience and they're getting out of the military oh, and yeah. pursuing other opportunities. And so that's where we find ourselves. It's like, and think about that. Imagine readiness is being impacted. And I will say this one, if you haven't seen the the newest statement, they are moving a lot of the sailors off the uh, George Washington too. after all this press. I, happened. I heard something that about moving the sailors off, but I hadn't seen any kind of like article or like whatever, um, which uh, so that like, that that action direct, directly contradicts the statement. This is just what it's like in RCOH because but somewhat enough, something could happen. Someone yep. somewhere recognized that okay, we can do something about this, and you can. And somebody might come back with, "Well, it's because we're having these this rash of of uh, suicides," and it's like, oh, well, okay, but like. Or like <laughs> it's because you have the capacity to do this all the time anyway, and maybe we should look at doing this all the time anyway, because it'll improve all those things, which is the actual solution to not having this problem again. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what they're doing. I don't know if it's going to fix a lot of the problems for the sailors, but like you could do something that you weren't doing before. And this is 
This is like the OQE. This is the objective quality evidence right here that there was a, there were mechanisms not at work. There were leadership sitting on their hands while all these things were happening and not addressing the problem because somebody somewhere came in and said, thou shalt do the following. Mm-hmm. And now they're off the ship, not having to deal with all those issues that HM2 was talking about. You know what I mean? And it's like, and I can give you a, a very easy example of why people are probably voting with their feet, right? So let's say you go to an air show and you see the Blue Angels and you're like, oh my God, I want yeah. to become a pilot. Well, you didn't have the scores, but you can work on them. Yeah. So you join, you become an airman, you become one of the Blue Angel workers. Awesome. But you're going to school and you're living inside the barracks and that barracks is covered in black mold. Yep. But you got your 25 grand. But like that, that to me is <laughs> yep. the thing is like they got money for paint for these airplanes, for fuel for these airplanes. But they don't have money to put in to condemn buildings, to get livable housing, to go yeah. on. So, you know what I mean? Like yep. those kids get that $25,000 uh, bonus to join right before Top Gun drops. Outstanding. Uh, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And now you're living in Portsmouth Naval Shipyard or you're living inside of the building because the, the ship's too cold or you didn't yep. bring a blanket or you're sleeping in your car because traffic's really bad in Norfolk. So you leave two hours early to sleep because there's three carriers in yep. you need to walk a mile to the freaking pier eight. Not that I've done this before. My ex-wife used to <laughs> like, do that. She used to drive to work at like three 30 in the morning and sleep in her car for like, yeah, there's two no hours. traffic. Yeah. When you wake up, you can go to the McDonald's. Yeah. But I mean like that, that to me is the thing of like, we'll spend this money in certain areas because we need people. I remember when, uh, when Giordano came to us, he talked about, you know, how do you maintain a organization that recruits 50,000 people a year that has an re- attrition rate of 33,000 where more than half is leaving due to retention, due to retirements, due to mast and JP, whatever have you. And I heard, you know, nothing official, but anecdotally that that number is closer to basically being even now than 50 and 33, but more or less 33 and 30 now, Yeah, which is probably a good reason why they're throwing all that money at people just to join yeah. before. You know. Well, Mick Pond, and I don't, you know, I don't know if it's, I, I'm assuming he's pulling on some kind of data here when he said this, but he said, I think it was 78% of sailors don't go past 10 years. Yeah. Which, I mean, think, and granted, like there's only so many spots, like it narrows like a pyramid just based on like the need for higher rank and stuff. But still, like, I mean, that's, that's a huge number. And so you got to think about all the money and time you're investing into the training and uh, training those sailors. And then all the value that comes from the experiences of those sailors and they're qualified, all these things. And then it's like, we're just letting them walk out the door. Um, and that's a huge part of, of for me that like, when I look at like, they're talking about having trouble recruiting people. I'm like, ha- retain people, like yeah. do a better job of creating an environment that people actually want to work in. And then maybe we wouldn't have to have such a high recruiting goal. And I just solved your recruiting problem. You're welcome. Yeah, like, I think I it's just- like <laughs> they are, they're attacking what they think is the problem, but not the source of the problem. Exactly. It's just a symptom of a problem. Like we wouldn't need to have goals for recruiting that are so high and unattainable if we were retaining quality people constantly. And so it's like, and the, the way, and I'm not saying it's not a way, like I, I don't have a problem. I have a problem with rank as incentive for keeping people in the Navy, but I don't have a problem with throwing money at people. Like I have any, any issue whatsoever that nukes make more money than me. They not should. At all. They you run should. a nuclear <laughs> reactor. Not only that, but like just the quality of life and the stuff they have to do. Like I, I, all I can speak of is nukes on submarines. But from what I understand, being a nuke on like a carrier sucks, too. But like those poor human beings on the submarines that I've been on, like 
a lot of like we pull in from deployment and a large like quotient don't go home because they have to shut down the reactor like and yeah. do all this and the, sometimes they're doing something called cool down and all this other crap so they're there even longer and it's just like there's you imagine where, like some gauges off oh my god like they're <laughs> like, i don't want any i'm that's the smartest thing i've ever done in my life was tell the recruiter I don't want to be a nuke. And then they try, try to throw money at me. And I was like, no. And then they made me take some stupid tests and I passed it. And they're like, oh, congratulations. You can be mm-hmm. nuke. And I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. remember all those times I said no? So like I just for whatever Still reason. Mean that. Yeah, for whatever reason, I didn't even know what it meant at the time. But for whatever reason, the the nuclear engineering thing, just they kept saying it. And I just kept picturing math and like engineering and mechanical things. And I'm like, those are all things that you don't want me anywhere near. I'm like, just no. no. And so like, I just, it didn't sound like my idea of a good time. So I just hard and fast. No. And they were get God, they were trying so hard. And, uh, I, that's the smartest thing I ever said no to. Cause good Lord, those poor humans. I just mm-hmm. like, I have so much, so much empathy for the nuclear community in the Navy. Cause God, their job sucks. And I know plenty of people that love the like, excuse me, love like the job generally. And not, you know, now they're like EDMCs or whatever, but it's like there's just there's so much pain. It's like, oh, oh, it's a path to the dark side for sure, man. There's so much pain, (laughs) like suffering. And I'm just like, my God, like I. I just don't know how they do it. And so like I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with them getting more money than me or everyone else or whatever. But it's like if you create if you attack the problem from creating an environment where they actually enjoyed their jobs or at least like we were talking about earlier, found purpose and 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 fulfillment without being constantly run ragged and um just being put through like these miserable cycles of, of, you know, training and administration and um, maintenance accountability and all the crap that they have to do. It's just like their job is so difficult to meet all of the requirements that exist. And it's like some of them, I feel like they could be at least accomplished more efficiently and intelligently, if not eliminated (laughs) just to provide the type of bandwidth um, that would create like white space for quality of life. You know, like I just, Yikes. And, yeah, and it's, I, it's a huge, it's a Gordian knot of a problem. Like, how do you solve that across the board between like them, you know, between like, okay, do we throw money yeah. at it? Do we throw uh, better incentives in regards to like orders, different ships? And it's like, but I don't, I don't even think that like those are like incentives when we're talking about it in a vacuum. Like, once we've solved all the other problems, like, I don't think you would you would even need those incentives on the scale that we do if you fixed like the quality of life part where it's like people who do a four year. And, and I know that the Gordian knot is how do you make a four year enlistment, which is really six because of the training cycle mm. for a, a new a session nuke, like whatever, electrician, mechanic, whatever. In your first four years like, as an RHCO yeah, or RCOH and right. Newport News. Good how God. How do you make that a rewarding enough experience that they want to be retained generally? And then you can use incentives as needed. Because, you know, like I know there are for sure nukes that stay in the Navy just because of the money. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and maybe they came from a background where there's like just no other way they ever would have seen that kind of money in their life. And so they were te- like tempted by it and it kept them around like that happens for sure. Um, they do what I, I don't like the idea of allowing them to reenlist before they ever get to a unit, which happens all the time where they do it in like nuke school um, because they don't they don't even know what they're signing up for again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where they're like adding years to their contract, picking up another Chevron and then they get to a ship and they're like, oh, what did I do? Um, but I, I understand why they have to employ those mechanisms because their life sucks. And so they get to, you know, like they get, if they make a mistake, 5,000 people are dead. Well, and I mean, that's maybe, but like, I, it's more like if you make any mistakes, you're in a critique for four hours, you know Mm. what I mean? They have to do a fact finding a critique. They get an upgrade. They have to like do all this crap. They get like removed from watch standing and, have to do some upgrade explaining Quals are like, shredded probably and, and it's like they already know they screwed up but they make them go through all this like excruciating pain and self-flagellation to make sure they knew they know that they screwed up and they won't do it again and it's like it's the most like ridiculous but like, hey, we've never had a nuclear accident <laughs> I, yeah I, well and i know why because it's like good god like how could you there's like it's like the vacuum of space. Like there's no risk. It's just like they sucked it all out of the air and there's just no room for that level of risk to ever exist in the universe um, by all the just draconian measures that are taken to make sure that it's impossible. But, um, and I know it's not impossible, but it's pretty damn close. But uh, yeah, I just, and, and it's not, I'm like using nukes as an example because it's popped into my mind. Like there's plenty of rates out there that are just miserable and, and oh, like yeah. like cooks on submarines, just like, good God, like they've had they have SDIP for like E5s, like they have incentive really? pay to go to sea as an E5. And it's just like, what? Like, but that's how badly like and they're all just getting out of the Navy because they hate their jobs. And it's like, you know, like a big part of that, like their job is really difficult. And like there's a lot of submariners that like the, the culture on submarines is that of like cooks are dumb and they don't add any value to anything ever. And um, like every time, like you see like a cook get a NAM at a ship's award ceremony, like you got a NAM for making cookies. Like, okay, you got a NAM for writing numbers into a fucking box in an air conditioned <laughs> space. Like, am I, am I supposed to be more impressed by that? Like relax. And you know, of course that's not an accurate description of either job and like watch standing and stuff, but it's like, their job sucks and they get told that they're they add no value to the mission or the crew. So they all just are like, well, what? Why would I stay here? Like they just leave. They vote with their feet. And so like now you've got you've got like first term like billets where they're just like, oh, you're an E5. Do you want to go back to a submarine? We'll give you seven hundred dollars a month up to 36 months if you terminate short duty early or extend on board. And so it's just like, huh? Like, yeah. how, how is that where we are? Like, where that's how badly people don't want to do the job. Or I could make a bunch more money in the outside. Or working like... Working for an actual nuclear plant. Yeah, exactly. Or if you're that cook, like, get out and go to college and get paid, like, thousands of dollars a month in BAH to go to college and get a part-time job and grow a beard and love my life and party. And, yeah, you know I mean? Like, it's... yeah. When you compare the two, when they you because you look at the benefits and the freedom and the potential like outcomes where they could like 
you can get a job where you sit at home in your boxers now and like clock in, clock out and get paid to like sit on the Internet. And like, I don't know, like I got a lot of buddies that are getting IT certifications so they can get these stupid cloud jobs where they're like resetting people's passwords remotely because they have a TSSCI clearance. So they get to get a job for like Amazon or whoever like runs the these government contracts and they're sitting at home in their sweatpants like doing really simple IT things, getting paid like 80 grand a year. And it's like, so it is why the would they stay here? You know what I mean? And so it's like, you have to create an environment where the people that joined uh, to do something bigger than themselves and wanted that sense of purpose and wanted to feel like they're contributing to something significant and to the nation's defense and all those kinds of things. It's like, there's a way to, to use that as a retention tool. It's just like, leadership's not equipped to do it right now just like just like they're not equipped to do all the stuff we talked about at the beginning you know like and it's we've never we've never installed that software either and i think but the problem is is like the like let's say russ hears this podcast is like you know what we're gonna instill empathy training like oh god no that's not gonna this fix is my either. fault like, god like, damn no, it <laughs> no i don't want that like i wanted to change uh, yeah. but not like that like yeah i remember my uh i had an et1 at my last ship who uh, is a chief a now? Whole Navy side eyeing me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the CT one also said I was the worst chief you ever worked for, which achievement unlocked. But yeah, there you go. He did tell me one thing that I always keep with me, which was like, and I forget where he got it from. Maybe it was a better chief than me, probably. That said, uh, the goal to try to do for any person is like try to give someone those, uh, and it sounds corny as hell, man, but it's like. Uh, those lollipop moments. Like if you yeah. had a, a childlike thing to be able to be like, Hey man, how could you make someone's day a little better? Like no matter what that may be, like how, even like how we, you know, Russ was talking about, you're going to some DH meeting somewhere and you see some sailor with a long face. You're like, Hey, are you okay? Like, yeah. I'm like, I, that sounds like, that sounds like a lie, but uh, it's confident. So what, what's really going on? Like, yeah. And to me, I think if everyone, because, again, it, it's hard to teach that because it's like, hey, I guarantee most people that are listening to this are like, hey, I'm dealing with my own shit, too, man. Yeah. yeah. You think that you think I'm just this soulless vessel to just be an empathy, an empathy machine? Like, no, I'm not saying that. But those little moments there may affect that person that's going to stay in. May, they're not going to make their decision to stay four more years in because chief and you know IT1 stopped in the P way and asked if they're actually having a good time or if their mother's OK yeah. or this. But just those human moments of getting to know your people. Yeah. I think are it's, very it's, crucial for just not fucking just an admission. It's but just yeah. humans in general. It's like, not even, it's not even like a training thing. I don't even know mm -hmm. that it's educational, educationally based. It's like, it's just cultural. It's like mm -hmm. we had, I was on a submarine where we did this thing uh, called peer to peer enforcement. Right. And it was like, basically like they had these pillars of like, um, I want to say it's like formal or formal communication. Um, oh God, he's going to, if, if my old cob listens to this, he's going to murder me. Cause I forget <laughs> that. But we had like these pillars. It was like, uh, it was like safety, professionalism. So was, I don't know, integrity. I don't know. Something, there were some pillars. I forget. I've had a lot of CEOs since then. Don't <laughs> yell at me. But one of them, like one of the concepts that he employed on the submarine was peer to peer enforcement. And basically all it was, was, the triad and the chief's mess as a, as a ancillary of that and the wardroom also. Right. 
they he just said like i'm making it okay on this submarine for anybody to call out anybody at all times right so like if you're if you were at all hands call and the co's got his hands in his pockets i expect one of you to correct him right and when you correct him all he's authorized to do and from his mouth to your ears right is say oh thank you like i appreciate you you backing me up there right yep. it was um what Right. I, who, or I'm a chief petty officer in the United States Navy. You know and what I mean? Students like, correct not, me all the time and I'm like, thank you. Right. And you're not. Al- exactly. Up. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to respond negatively. And so what it, it turned into like a game is is it was like it's probably the wrong word. It was almost like just this self-feeding mechanism, because then what you found was like it was made OK. And so then people are looking around like, is this real? Like, OK, let's test, <laughs> let's test this test. So then I'm walking down the P way and some kid tells me that, like, uh, I don't know, something's wrong with my uniform. And I'd be like, oh, thanks, man. And I like fix it and I keep it moving. And they're like, did he just say thanks? <laughs> like, like, I just corrected a chief. And then like, it was like, what? Where's your pin at? Right. And so <laughs> then like it, it would it snowballed into like, so then when, when somebody would correct somebody, cause then it became a game, especially amongst the junior enlisted, it became like who can punk who it was like the, the circle game where you're trying to get them to look at your fingers and like a circle and <laughs> yes. even though apparently I, I that's like, before once apparently once. that's racist or something. I don't know. But like that, that game where it's like, they're trying to get you to look, it was almost like they were trying to catch you slipping. And so they would like, you'd see like an E five, correct another E five, and then the E5 that got corrected would respond negatively. And then everybody would eat them like right. everybody. Would be, ah, you're just- not allowed to do that. Like and so then it it chased that possibility out of the room where it was like um, and even the chief. Same thing. It was like anytime a chief would like respond negatively, like I, I, I don't want to hear it. Like calm down. Just say thank you and keep it moving. And so it, it like didn't take long before that just became part a cultural norm. Like it was just woven into the DNA of the crew. So like, and it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. Like it was just, all it took was the institution to say, Hey, this is what we're doing now. And then everybody of course is like, you know, skeptical hippo eyes and like, ah, like really? And then you actually do it. And then they're like, Oh wow, this really is what we're doing. Okay. You know, like, and you follow through with it. So like you say like, Hey, uh, you know, I don't know. Chiefs aren't going to like have different uniforms anymore or like whatever. It's like some crazy thing that would obviously just like turn the universe on its axis and everybody would like light their torches and grab their pitchforks. But like if you said, hey, we're going to do this and and we're going to eliminate these artificial boundaries or, hey, we're going to uh, we're going to change the culture of the chief's mess. And everybody's like, <laughs> like immediately just like spitting out whatever's in their mouth and laughing. Yeah. It's like you can you can say a lot of things. And the Navy's really great at saying things via instruction or nav admin or all hands call and then zero follow through like zero. I, I just wrote a paper about like the leadership problem that I perceive in the military and all of like the effects, right? Like all the things that can, that can happen as a result where there are a lot of policy documents out there, like the Navy leader development framework 2.0 or whatever that hasn't been updated in like over two years. And it's there's a lot of documents where a CNO will t- will communicate in a lot of different uh, like versions of the same statement where they're saying leadership development is our top priority. I'm like, really? Then why aren't we doing any of it? Like and they and they like will point at there's a lot of great like documents with all these colorful charts, like laying the keel and the leader development framework where it outlines 
all of these like steps along the way where you're going to get developed as a leader. And I'm like, why is none of this happening? Because to put it all on like you and I to just be good mentors, it's like, I don't have time to sleep or go to the gym. So I'm not saying I'm not doing it. Like I am prioritizing that, but I'm prioritizing it at the expense of my own physical and mental health because I don't have the bandwidth to be the only meaningful leadership development mechanism in a sailor's entire existence. So what are we doing? And, and so then they finally, somebody out there figured out and it was probably Russ Smith he like shaking his hand, fist and yelling at people. We got the ELD thing like installed, right? And it's then COVID ate, ate the entire rollout. And so now it's like there's people are trying to spin it back up. And I think it's like it's starting to gain a little momentum and I've heard good reviews, but it's still not good enough. It's a, it's a step. I like I'll give the credit, but it's like throughout the entire life cycle of a career, there should be leadership development and education. It should be formal. It should be not just one thing like it should be just this constant ever present priority across the board where you're not just in a brick and mortar environment. Maybe you're on Blackboard. Maybe you're listening to podcasts. Maybe you're listening to YouTube videos. Maybe you're doing stuff at the command. Maybe it's mentorship. Maybe it's a professional reading list. Maybe it's a million things. But Remember when we used to actually have uh, like people made a joke about it, but I remember it being very effective when it came to Petty Officer NDOC and, you know, you know, second class NDOC and first class NDOC. What? what was effective about that? I've never seen an effective program in my life. So my first class on my first ship, uh-huh. he talked about the way that it was effective. And what they did was, have you ever seen the movie 12 o'clock high? No. Listen, if you can I'll get that on prime or whatever, 12, <laughs> it's Gregory it Peck. Okay. It's this movie about a down and out air wing in world war two, based on a real story of basically this general taking over this command mm-hmm. And basically everyone there is in a very, you know, they've lost a lot of people, but they still have to do their mission and his ability to try to fix those problems. Now, of course, it comes off as some like colloquial, you know, thing of like very, you just got to pull that, pull them up by the bootstraps. But there's a lot of good value in the way that like, I could probably talk, I could probably go on for like another 40 minutes on and offline about it, but the whole thing it goes on about just teaching leadership, like little, you could take small snippets of that movie, right. And just be like, okay, we're going to watch this movie. And then you're, we're going to talk and have a little, you know, almost like a brief be like, now, what do you feel about this piece of this? Right. You know, what do you feel about this section? Like, why was he reprimanding this person? Why is he doing what he's doing? Why is the, you know, what would you do in this person's position? And not again, like, there's so that's why, you know, I like laying the keel in different areas where I'm like, okay, that snare is a little too rigid to actually be yeah. real. That's not what we would actually do. But like that sort of stuff to me is much better than just the, it seems like we're getting more towards the the check in the box as opposed yeah. to like, Hey, you're going to be put in these weird positions where I've, I've heard so many like weird scenarios about people trying to like use the most littlest amount of power that they have. Right. Whether they were, the East Wash coordinator for this signature part of the books. And it's like, it's like corruption starts at the most basic levels. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's the thing that I think that we don't really talk about, like how to not be corrupt when you get a little bit of power, whether that's, yeah, you're the person that runs the barbershop. You're the person that controls, uh, let's say the internet for the crew. 
yeah. you know, not giving everybody OpsCon one access, making sure yeah. that you're not giving away all the chicken wings to the guys that are also going to be standing your board, like Just not going happens. down to engineering and giving everybody <laughs> soda. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, when homeboy needs a checkout, we're making chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> yeah, to me, dude, that yeah, I, I the the. I don't have a problem with those things happening. And I do think when they do happen in a meaningful way, they have a lot of value. The problem I have is putting the burden on operational commands that have already have too much going on and saying like, oh, well, you're responsible for PO indoc. You're responsible for making sure that this sailor who just became a petty officer third class or second class first, whatever, uh, you're responsible for making sure that they know how to lead her because they just got promoted and it's like how how do i have time and then the <laughs> curriculum's like three days long if you actually teach it to the master course document it's like no one has time for that so then they're like okay we're gonna take it air quotes off the flight line with the eld thing which i think is the right move but you're pulling you're pulling from shore shore commands and like saying okay you're gonna be the one responsible for this which i think like the idea has merit but also there's a lot of people on shore duty that don't have the bandwidth. Like chief Bob, God bless his soul is an instructor at submarine school. And that dude's life is on fire 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like the stuff, the personnel issues they deal with there with a population of like 1500 students. I mean, like they write, they could write a book just on like the, the, all the variations of, like sailor misconduct and just like anarchy that happens and that they have to deal with it and adjudicate it and process all these people out and deal with all the, you know, like all this crazy stuff that happens. Mm. And he's constantly telling me these stories about all this wild stuff where, um, he, they just never have a moment to breathe. They never have enough staff members. They never have enough people to put on the podium. They never have enough people to stand duty. They never have enough people for all the places to do all the things. Seventy yeah, percent's the new hundred percent, right? Yeah, exactly, dude. I was at seventy-five percent manned-ish, give or take a few percentage percentage points the entire time I was an instructor, and that was years ago. And so it's like, yeah, it's it's. I mean, God, I'm I'm naming this podcast seventy percent is the new hundred percent, but like, that dude, it's like you're that's the problem is it's like the the idea on paper in a vacuum in a room full of master chiefs in dc or whoever came up with the plan to take it off the flight line and make it the problem of people on shore duty like it makes a lot of sense if shore duty is 100 percent manned but it's yeah. not hey, and people it's are like, pulling from reservists right now just yeah. to keep up to manning yep and that's the that's the problem that i see with making it Making like putting the burden on the the like active duty sailors that have other jobs. It's like there should either be and I think it should be a combination of both. Like there should just be like NLEC ELD detachments in every major fleet concentration area and then start either one detailing people there to do the job, which I think is probably a tall ask. I think beyond having like a command senior chief there to like be the like active duty liaison slash representative slash whatever kind of almost like a fleet cpo training team type I mean, thing they, where there's, they had it when i was overseas they'd have guys that they were touring around from nets right that yeah. were and, doing dapa training they could definitely do yeah. real so you could do you could do those the mobile training team things for sure but um what i what i'm talking about is like you put them in every fleet concentration area and then you could do the mobile training events but you could also like the, the the most unleveraged mechanism in the freaking world is retirees. And it like 
blows my mind. Even my so my buddy, uh, my buddy Josh, not really doxing him or anything. Uh, he separated as a senior chief and he's still local and he's working some government job somewhere. And he's still a dude that has a lot of valuable experience. He's a really smart guy. And I bet you because like I, I, I've never met and they probably exist. I've never met a chief that when given the opportunity, having retired or separated to access a room full of sailors and talk about their experiences, doesn't jump at the opportunity because they miss that. That's what everybody misses about being out of the military is like the people, like being around the people, swapping, yeah. you know, see stories, blah, blah, blah. So like, and I tell I, the example all the time is, is the cob that pinned my mass chief anchors on. He's been retired probably a decade now. Um, when I was on my last submarine, it was when I had first gotten there, we spun up a, back then it was CPO 365 phase one. Um, but like a sailor's 360 thing. Um, and he was one of the first people that I was like, Hey, we were two crew submarines. So we were in a built in an admin building submarine was, I think gone. Um, and I said, Hey, will you come in and, and talk to my first classes? And I had, I had already done a few trainings. So it, it started to spread around the building too. Cause we had a bunch of other submarine crews there. So I ended up having like, I mean, there's probably 50 first classes in this classroom. Um, and I bring in this old crusty cob. He was a CMC, been in for 30 plus years. Um, three cob tours, like just break glass in case of emergency chief of the boat on submarines. Like he's he's amazing. He's one of the best leaders I've ever encountered in my life. And uh, I brought him in and he just held court for over an hour. And they were all riveted, man. Like even even when I sit there and listen to him talk, like I'm on the edge of my seat looking at him like, wow, you know, like but like these first classes were blown away. And then when we were walking, I had to escort him in and out of the building because it's a skiff and all that. And, um, when I was walking him out, he was he thanked me like three times before we got to the bottom of one flight of stairs because he got to like for me, I'm like, holy God, that was amazing. Thank you so much. He was like over the moon that he got to sit in that room full of sailors and be Cobb again, you know, and like and and just hold court and share all his wisdom and knowledge and all these. It's like so it was just he was so excited, like the dude was vibrating, like he was like he was so, so, so pumped about it. And so I'm like ever since that happened, I've had it in my mind that the way to solve this problem is by hiring a bunch of retirees as contractors and they wouldn't even need to do it full time. If you think about the population that exists and, and then the willingness to do it, I mean, you would have people that would probably volunteer to do it. But also, like if you paid them a little bit and it's like, OK, like, hey, we have a class coming up from for these five days. Who can go where and how many sessions can you do? And then you just get paid by the hour or whatever or get paid by the session. And it's like, so it'd be like a part-time thing. So like, because this cob, he works at, uh, I think the shipyard full-time. So he's still, you know, working full-time. But like, if you were doing it in like the evening or something where it's like, you know, the sailors get cut out of, cut out of work at f like 1300 or get cut out at lunchtime and then they go to class for four hours. And so these, these cobs or whoever are, are doing this class, how, there's a million ways you could do it. Or they get T80 orders to the schoolhouse and then Cobb like just takes a week off work and then <laughs> gets paid twice. Um, I, I don't know. It's Sounds like a, a good white paper to write up. Dude, <laughs> I, I've got so many white papers that I need to write when I retire. Um, yes. one, one of them is going to be how to fix military food service. Well, Navy <laughs> food service. 
And then, uh, yeah, the other one needs hey, to Hey, the ship I was on, we had the best galley in the Navy as far as I'm concerned. The fact that they didn't have, yeah. I'm not going to dox, but yeah. I. It's on sm- smaller ships are easier, right? Yeah. So like submarines, like destroyers even, like cru- I don't even think cruisers are too big. But like when you get into the bigger ships, it does get more difficult, but it's not impossible. The reason why the food sucks is because they're never taught how to cook. Not really. Like we make the best attempt we can in a whopping 25 training days, best case scenario. But it's like when you look at culinary schools, it's like the shortest certificate certificate program that exists, not a degree program, (laughs) which is better. The shortest certificate program that exists is six months and it's called the Accelerated Certificate Program at the Culinary Institute of America. So it's like normally a certificate takes a year and then an associate's degree is two years. So it's on what planet am I going to be able to put out a functioning cook that's going to be able to do anything competent besides heat and serve True. in 25 training days? And they want you to do all this other stuff. Like we do PT. We do all the what's the fuck um, the NMTI training Um it's like skills for life or so, life skills, life, oh, something yeah, like yeah. that. Well, they so put that back in a boot camp. I well, guess. they did. But at the time we were trying, we thought we had to do it. Um, they're like, we were running fake duty sections in the barracks and qualifying them, their watches and just all this other crap that has nothing to do with teaching them how to be cooks. They used to make us do these things called saltwater trips where we would put all the students on a bus and drive from Fort Lee, Virginia to Norfolk, Virginia to show them or it was like we took a field trip to a, a, a USS to a ship. And I'm like, they're about to transfer in a week and be on a ship for four years. Why do I need to take them on a field trip? They're not midshipmen. I don't have to sell them on anything. They're going to get orders they have no control over and they're going to execute those orders. So what are we doing? Like I'm losing a full training day for a field trip. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Like this is insane because you also lose training days to like, we're going over to, uh, they call it SIF. I forget what it stands for, but it's like an issuing facility for like, loner gear so like the army makes fun of it all the time because like he, they it's where they get like their camelbacks and their uh like body armor and then when they turn it in they like get yelled at because it's not in pristine condition when and when they got it it wasn't either but you know what i mean it's like getting a rental a shady rental car and so like that's where we would get like the cook uniforms from so we'd have to you spend half a day marching them over there sitting in there trying them on getting them cook whites marching them back blah 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 and it's just like and then you have to go return all that stuff at the end of the curriculum. You have to do a graduation practice. You have to do a graduation ceremony. So it's like you're getting like by the end of all the all the BS, you're getting like 22 training days at best. Um, and the army sure likes them four day weekends. So it's just they would just murder our schedule. And I'm like, I, it's impossible to train these kids in this short of a period of time in any meaningful way, because then they take 14 to 21 days of leave and route to the USS. So it's like. I, like they data dumped it all like they took yeah. the equivalent length of the curriculum in leave and completely forgot everything that they were taught here so it's just like it's a it's a it's a futile endeavor um so that's another i don't know why that was a way longer rant than it needed to be about so you say that's how i always get on that rabbit hole it's all good <laughs> so you think we could summarize let's this is we're fixing the fleet in this podcast right now. Oh God, King for a day. <laughs> uh, if we had the Manning, because that that to me is the thing is like 
we have Top Gun, we have these Blue Angels, we sell these people on the 25 grand, and we want people to stay in for the long haul, even though we have what appears to be like a 50, if not higher percentage of attrition rate, with the people that do stay in are now staying at 70%. They're burnt out from their sea duties. Uh. They're burnt out from their shore duties. They have a huge amount of, you know, stress. They, they haven't been taught how to, I mean, like I said, they weren't taught how to be CSs really. They weren't taught how to right. cook. So how do you expect them to know how to manage stress? But they're still they coming here when they're eaten yeah. by their peers because they don't know how to cook, which they were never taught in the first place. So it's like me, like eating your soul because you don't know how to stand a watch that I never properly trained and qualified you to stand. Like, Hey, and I'll take full ownership of this. When I was a second class, I was probably the most toxic of leaderships that I could possibly imagine. I was a monster. I would tell me too. Yeah. When I was going through, when I was going through 360 overseas and we, and again, the master chief that was in charge of the base that I was on was probably one of the, he was the one that was like, they need to get off their pillar and so on. Like, he was a badass. He basically brought it to where we would meet every single week with our boat teams and all this. Like he was, I think, the guy that made the boat teams a thing for like you know three sixty five now or three sixty yeah. season and so on. But we'd sit down there and meet with other chiefs. And I told him like as a first class, I was like, I told my guys, I'm like, I don't need you. You need to learn from me, not the other way around. Oh my god, dude, it was bad. I would, <laughs> I would fix stuff on the ship. And I would tell <laughs> the leadership that other people fixed it. I'd be like, hey, Boggs fixed it. Have a good one, man. And they'd be like, I didn't fix it. Like, yeah, it's your problem now, buddy. Like, wait, what the fuck? Like, yeah, <laughs> I would be like, I would fix something or we'd go into something like, oh, man, I would give them the reward of being like, oh, yeah, man, this guy fixed it. He did a great job. He's awesome. I would never take credit for anything, but now it's their fucking problem. So now I'm not Mr. 3 <laughs> a.m. anymore. Like, yeah. I was the most toxic person yep. I can only imagine if those people happen to stay in now. Right. And they'd be like, Oh, that guy made chief. Oh, of course. Cause he was a right. freaking, he was a prick. There, yeah. as I a was a class. rabid animal as a second class. Exactly. Like, dude, I was so terrible. And that to me is my thing is that like, we, we can take the ownership now as chiefs because, you know, now we see ourselves as like what we were told when we were in boot camp, right? Like we are, the gatekeepers, we are the standard bearers, we are the people that make everything what it's supposed to be. But I'm not saying I'm better because I was a toxic second class that was basically wrapped. Now, to the rest of the ship, I need everybody to be my friend. I need everybody to need us. So I would never like use our our rights as like a sword against the engineers or anybody else. Like I was very nice to everybody else. But within my own division, I was a monster. I was terrible yeah, to those yeah. people. And that to me is like, we need to teach people. And that's why I bring up the story now because I tell it to the A school kids. I'm like, dude, I was not a good second class. I thought like I was Mr. Smee. I thought I knew X, Y, and Z. And then like I realized when I was like, well, I'm a first class. I'm going to change the Navy. I'm going to change these divisions. And then all of a sudden I went to my first actual mess meeting and was put in front of all the rocks and all the hard places of actually trying to make change within the command, you know, trying to make sure the chief's mess doesn't stay in our business. And trying to make sure that the junior guys are taken care of, people are getting trained, people are getting qualified, and learning like the inner political stuff. Like I told you, that first class to made chief who was like, "Hey, you might not be a part of the association, but you're a part of the mess." Like, yeah, I mean, that was not brought up as a second class because, again, get this: on my first ship, we didn't have a first class board for Eastwas. 
we didn't even have a Chiefs board. Huh. That didn't happen That's until weird. after I left. Oh, yeah, it was definitely not the norm, right? Yeah. So imagine how big my ego was on that ship when I was like the East Wash coordinator and so on. Like I was yeah. toxic as hell. And to <laughs> me, I guarantee there's some second class out there in the exact same shoes that I was on before that thinks that he's, you know, God's gift to the Navy because he oh, yeah. did this stuff before he joined. That's like every second class, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But I will <laughs> but say when this. You're that, when you're just peaking in your quals and technical knowledge and time on board, you're like like a year to six months out from transferring and you, you're a new second class in your first boat or ship or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I you're a, you're a demigod. Oh, dude, I told my first class, I'll never forget this. I told him, I was like, you're my secretary. You sign my shits. I run this division. Like that's how ah, that's big hilarious. of a head I had. It was yeah, ridiculous. and I mean, I was I was the same, dude. I was God's gift to the division. I th- like everything was. I had the answer to everything. I was right about everything. My chief was an idiot. All the third classes were idiots. <laughs> yep. Like they were all inconveniences to me. Just get out of my way so I can fix it. Like yep. it was. And like, I mean, it felt true at the time and I was, I was just so angry and bitter and I wanted the hell out of the Navy and, um, yeah, man, it was, I was, there are definitely people, um, and I, I've got the furthest back I got to reach was my first chief store. There was one kid that I really went in on cause I didn't know how to fix him. Mm. Um, and a lot of it was him being immature and, and, um, but a lot of it was me, uh, having unreasonable unreasonable expectations for him as a person because i recognized what motivated him and i just refused to do it like he was he needed like positive reinforcement ahead of accomplishing any accomplishing anything meaningful at the time and and then like i was just i had like a moral conflict with that i was like no you're gonna earn that i'm not just gonna tell you good job or whatever like i was like no and i i it was like i knew what to do to fix it but i thought it was like wrong and so i just refused to do it and so we just it was really bad and i so i got to talk to him um probably i mean this is probably a year ago uh, and he's he just made first class he's an lp on a boat he's doing great and so like in my mind, I'm like, OK, so he was fixable because like he went to his next submarine, got mapped to second class, lit the world on fire from all by all accounts and then went to shore duty, did well there, went to back to a boat, made first class as an LPO. He's qualified leading CS now. He's about, probably about to take over when his chief leaves. Like, so I'm like, oh, this. So uh, this was my failure. And so I'm like, man, I, I need to talk to this kid. And so like I have run into him um, at the base galley here. Uh, and we talked a little bit and I was just, and I, I reached out to him and was just like, Hey man, I, I wouldn't, I'd love to like come by and like sit down with you. And so we did like, he was trying to, he needed me for some qual stuff anyway. So we met and then we did that. And then I, I sat down with him and, and just asked him like, like, hey, what happened? Like, what was, was it me? Was it you? Was it both? And we talked it out and it was, he's like, it was both. He's like, I was an infant. Like I, he's like, I was immature and I, I thought I knew everything and I hated you and, um, and I think a lot Taylor's of it was your, oldest time. Yeah, it was your approach and stuff like that. But he's like, a lot of it was me. And he's like, I think so. It was you. And because he's like, then I went to the next boat and this, this chief different approach, but he was telling me the same thing. And I was just like, oh, it's me, you know, like, and he goes, he goes, it wasn't just him. Like, yeah, I didn't like his approach and I didn't like certain things about it, but he's saying the same things. And so that's when he started to, to fix himself. But, but yeah, it was like, Dude, there are people from my first boat when I was the senior second class that I I treated them 
like dirt and it was like that i guarantee if they like if they stuck around long enough and like saw my name on the list when i made like master chief or something they probably threw up yeah like and it's just like i get it and i was a different person back then and i don't know what to tell you i i was i was a man child and i mean i really was like it's like the closest I like think I've ever been to just, I was like a rabid animal. Like you came in the galley and I'd be like, what are you doing in here? You're like, you know what I mean? Like, why are you in here? Get out of my space. I pulled knives on people, (laughs) my best friends. But like at the time I was like, what the hell? Like, yeah. 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 It was bad. It was like, to me is uh, like how you said, we're part of the problem. Cause yeah, we, we, no one put us in our place. Like I was put my place. I was humbled pretty well as a first class. And even, you know, of course, chief season humbled the ever living hell out of me. Yeah. But like as a second class, like that was a majority of my career becoming a leader, making those foundations of who I was. And it wasn't until, you know, I made chief. It's like, Oh my God, dude, I've made so many mistakes. Yeah. I've, I've, yep. There's people that probably did not reenlist. I don't want to like give myself that responsibility, but definitely people that probably interacted with me. They're like, that guy's a freaking ow. I'm never going to, I hope I, I will go into fleet Tim's and not do this. Cause no one does <laughs> go into fleet Tim's and make sure I'm not near that guy's command ever yeah. again. Like, and that to me is the, the crux of it is that sure in the mess we do bear a good responsibility for it. But I think just, if we just bring this up from the grassroots and like, while anyone in any form of leadership has the ability to let everyone know that everyone to someone is a leader, someone's an example to somebody like, my biggest quote that I ever had was from a second class on my last ship because it, it's and maybe he stole it from somebody else, but it's like, it's not a problem till it's a problem. Yeah. And I, that goes from everything from, from manning to cruise to qualifications to freaking you know, mental health. It's not yeah. a problem until it's a problem. And then that, that is not a mentality that should be, uh, the bar yeah we shouldn't just be like you know what we're just going to keep on rolling until the wheels fall off wait cbs news is calling okay maybe Uh, we can get these guys (laughs) in some trailers yeah we can make this work (laughs) yeah it's and that's a great way to sum it up man is like is that uh is when like in viewing all of these things it's like the navy waits until it's a problem largely and then they try to address like the symptom of that problem instead of like proactively attacking a lot of these things and saying, Hey, like let's do meaningful things that are proactive and exercise a little bit of foresight and planning where we're making the cause of the problem. Like we're, we're fixing that and making that thing better ahead of time so that we don't have all these issues. And it's like, I don't know why it's so hard to recognize that like that's the problem. It doesn't seem difficult to me. I don't think I'm special. Like, I don't think I have some, like superior intelligence or cognitive ability or experience or whatever that allows me to see something no one else can like um but for whatever reason it's like they're constantly just putting band-aids on bullet holes like it's not a problem till it's a problem and then when the problem is a problem that's when you see action and it's like well it's too late now like you're you're not like sure are they a little happier that they're no longer having to live on the ship of course they are but it's like 
okay, what about the next carrier that's an RCOH? Like, are, are they going to get to do the same thing? Because otherwise you're not fixing anything. You're just making the, like, the thing that's on fire is not on fire anymore. But we're just going to leave the same exact circumstances in place so that the next thing that goes down the same road bursts into flames. So it's just like, what, what are you doing? Like, you're not fixing anything. You're just removing the symptom that's that's like acutely flaring up and drawing attention to it. And you're like, Oh, put that fire out, put that fire. Out. Like nothing to see here. Like, and it's, it's too late. Like you're, and never mind. Reacting. We only have one fire bottle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know, man. Um, I feel like this is a probably a good place to wrap this up unless you got anything else. Man. No, I'm good, man. I'm good with that. Who? Yeah. This was a, this was fun, dude. We got to do this again. Um, I, I appreciate you taking the time. No problem. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I had a great time talking to him. He reached out uh, as a listener and um, just kind of provided feedback on the the um, this is our fault episode where I kind of recapped all the McPon stuff. Um, but it, this kind of we, it was fun to expand on that and really have a long form discussion about um, like what I think the causes are, what he thinks the causes are. Um, shared some stories, uh, good times. So I had a really good time talking to him and I, and I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, as always, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You could Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast, or you could DM us on Instagram, Reddit or discord at DS podcast. Uh, don't be shy. Hit us up. If you need anything, uh, if you've got an idea request, uh, want to be on yourself, whatever, uh, don't be afraid to reach out and, and let us know. Uh, if you want to support us, there's a donate button on the website, dguestpodcast.com or like the ad at the beginning said, dguestapparel.com. You can go get some Naval pride and heritage gear. You'll actually wear in public. Really appreciate that. Uh, and Patreon's on its way. Um, I'm getting pretty dang close to, to uh, Terminal Leaf, so that'll be a, an option soon as well. So I appreciate that. If you can do that, that would be uh, very much appreciated. And that's it. That's what I got for today. Thank you so much for listening, and don't give up the ship. <laughs>